Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is team with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 15 of some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. The big show here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Hope everybody's doing good out there. Don't mind the noise. I get the fan going a little hot in here today. Uh, but I'm going to kind of uh, move along quickly because the, the cloud, I'm looking out my window. The clouds are rolling in. It's getting black, and they're talking about uh, the Saskatchewan storm going to happen. I saw it on Twitter there. So hopefully we need never hurts to get some rain, though. But uh, hopefully we don't get that hail. I hope everybody in Alberta is doing okay. I saw the hail stuff in Calgary and ripping siding off houses and all that shit. That's some... Um, so hopefully everyone's, all the listeners out there from in Alberta are doing okay. But then everyone else is staying safe. I know crazy times, right? Um, but thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, today's guest is Roman Vopat. And he was a great guest. Roman told some great stories. Some really cool insight. Like I said, you get to take us into the St. Louis Blues locker room and what it was like to meet Tony Twist for the first time. And Eric Lindros at the Philadelphia Flyers and... Uh, and uh, Roman was a good guest and a good sport, and uh, we talked for a while and lots of fun and a little, uh, hope, hope everything's good on the home front, but it sounded like we were having a little home reno uh, uh, accident uh, happening in the background towards, at the end of the interview, you'll hear what I mean when you when you listen, but we got to chuckle over that, but uh, no, other than that, guys, I hope everyone went and tuned in to uh, my, my vault episode from Sunday, which was, my guest was Dan Kopeck. Dan was a great guest, played all over in the Central League, of course, played for the infamous Laval Chiefs, and Dan had some great stories, I highly recommend that interview, and as well, like I said, this is episode 15, so I encourage everybody to go back and check out the Hearst 14 interviews. Um, every Wednesday is a new show, new content, whether it be a player interview or a uh, fellow fight fan interview or my just general ramblings that I like to do sometimes. Um, and then on Sunday is uh, a vault episode, so to speak, I like to call it. And uh, that is when I uh, play one of my old player interviews from my old website that uh, unfortunately crashed. But I had 40, I don't know, 45, 46 episodes on there and a good deal of them were player interviews. And I didn't want those to go to waste and be forgotten. So I wanted to get them back up on out in the interweb. So I said we came up with an idea on the, on the website here that uh, on the network that every Sunday I will be... Uh, you know, playing and uh, uploading an old interview until uh, till they're all up again. So, uh, which you know, man, that'll 
you know, we'll be for a few Sunday, for a few Sundays, we'll have uh, have some content. So, but every Wednesday's new stuff. So here you are. And um, other than that, I will not, like I said, I won't keep you too much longer. I want to get this in before the rain starts flying. But um, yeah, guys, check out the other guys in the network: Terry Ryan, of course. Everybody knows Tr. Uh, Brady Liebold, heroin to hockey. Um, you know, has some inter- an interesting story there. Um, and then, of course, on the network, they have all the NHL teams are represented. And of course, with the, with, by the sounds of it, with hockey coming back, I mean, those guys will be back up in full swing. And uh, you know, the network should be bouncing here with the amount of content that'll be coming out. And of course, then my uh, you know my fellow fight podcasters, Joel over at the Coliseum Chronicles, just had Robbie DeMaio on. Um, Alec at the Five for Fighting podcast, William at the Biscuit, and of course, Get the Gate podcast. Those guys and uh, Slewfoot Hockey Show and and uh, you know and uh, Dan Paul and Kelly over at the Obey the Puck Show. Of course, I always got to get the plug in for the for the crew, right? I mean, you have to. But uh, no, other than that, uh, like I said, no, no one tunes in to hear me yap. So I had a few things I was going to kind of touch on, but uh, I'll save those for a later day. It's no big deal. But um, other than that, guys, and of course, now that it's, uh, oh, and also, I have to plug my YouTube channel, uh, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, over 2,000 fight videos from junior to pro, any league you're looking for, just type in the search engine on my on my uh, YouTube page, everything will come up, and I just got a bunch of more fight DVDs in, so I'm adding content uh, every few days, um, so definitely just hit the note, the little bell notification and subscribe to the channel. That way, as soon as I put up a fight, like I would say, you won't, uh, you won't miss a single punch. So, uh, yeah, if you could do that, that'd be much appreciated. And, um, I've been, I've been just, I've embedded my clips now. So you don't, on Twitter, so you don't have to click on, click on the YouTube link. I've just sort of embedded them in the tweet. So if you, as you're scrolling, they, you know, start playing. I just, I think that's the term for it. I don't know, whatever. I, I was showing how to do it, so. But anyway, yeah, like a bunch of these videos are getting like two and three thousand, uh, I think the, the Brian Wells, Mark Tenorti stick swinging incident from the Western Hockey League from like 1983 or whatever. I, I put that clip up and it had about 300 views on my YouTube channel. I put it up on the Twitter with the in-bed thing and, oh, I think it's 4,000 or something now, so. Uh, yeah, so figuring out different ways to market things, I guess, so to speak, and, uh, got trying to learn, the old dog's trying to learn some new tricks here, guys, but, uh, hey, and anybody listening, if you're not on Twitter, check me out, uh, Fourth Line Voice, um, really cool thing, I have to plug this, because this is next week's episode, it's gonna be a bracket preview show, it is the, none other than the fourth annual Bob Probert Invitational, now anybody listening doesn't know what I'm talking about, it's a Twitter thing. Yeah, I know it's social media. and you know, Believe me, I get it with social media. But I said for the very reason, just for the Probert tournament alone, create a Twitter account. It takes two minutes. Even just leave it as a, even leave a, just a little egg. Just be one, two, three, four, whatever. But, but uh, get onto Twitter. Follow my account. And uh, starting on the, tw- it's at the 27th, I believe, next two Saturdays from now. Um, the, like I said, the fourth annual tournament's gonna start. And what it is, basically it's a March Madness tournament. Um, I took 64 of hockey's toughest dudes and, uh, random computer generated bracket. I, I throw all the names in, pops out the matchups, and then we vote on it. And every day we have it, we do a different round. It's a 24 hour voting cycle. So each, uh, you know, eight fights, you know, from each bracket for the first rounds and, uh, 
And it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's the fourth year. Um, who are the past? Ch- first year was McGratton. The second year was Twist. And the third year was Dave Semenko. So uh, we'll see what happens. And usually, before, I, if you won, I wouldn't put you back in. But this year, I put them all back in because what the hell, right? Um, and that's been really cool. And the, and the response has been just overwhelming to the to the tournament over the last three years. Um, actually, that's initially what really kind of blew up my Twitter account was the first tournament. And uh, people really kind of gravitated to it. And plus, normally, you know, it's in, in June or in July. I can't, it's actually right around the same time as the, as the Bob Probert um, motorcycle rally that he does that they raise for charity, which, you know, with the virus and everything, I don't think it's, it's not happening this year. But I kind of tried to do the tournament around that time to kind of just do some awareness too for it. Uh, but so it's been really cool, like Bob's widow, Danny, and the kids, they've all retweet the tournament. I know Danny's commented on uh, the Biscuit Podcast um, how much she enjoyed it. And, I mean, she follows my account, so I talked to her. and So it's really cool to have her endorse it. And uh, and I always get, why isn't Probert in it? Well, because Probert would win. That's why he's not in it. That's why I named it after him. So, yeah, so that's why, you know, where the name came from. So, <clears throat> But yeah, guys, so that'll be coming up. So, and it, the last couple of years, what I'd like to do is, um, a preview kind of episode. We just talk about the guys that are in the tournament and the matchups. And it's just a fun, fun old school hockey talk. And, the, uh, the last couple of times I've had Steve from WhenProbertWasKing.com, I've had him on and we broke down the matchups and just had just general bullshit about each guy. And it was a lot of fun. And, um, I, I'm going to do that again this year. Um, <clears throat> I have, uh, uh, co-host in mind. Hopefully his schedule will work out. And, uh, I'm not trying to throw, you know, throw Steve under the bus because Steve was a great guest, is a great guest. And, um, if it doesn't work out, I, I, he already told me he's in the bullpen ready to go. Um, and no slight to him. I was just looking for a different, just to get a different voice. And like I said, I've had Steve on here numerous times and it was just to get a different voice for the listeners. And, and this particular cat has never been on a podcast before. Um, and you know, and, and we had kind of talked before about having him on and we just didn't know what the, what topic could we talk about when he came on. But now this kind of came up and he's an old school guy too. And, uh, from the old message board days and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll work out and I can get him on. Um, you know, and if not, well, we'll, Steve and I will get back at her and, uh, and regardless, there is going to be a bracket preview show next week and, uh, always fun to break down the 64 guys that are in it and the matchups and I just have a fun hypothetical and, uh, and like I said, when everybody gets voting and talk and I said, you know, the internet's always Crosby and, uh, Eichel and the rest of them and OV and that's always the talk. So it's nice to have, uh, you know, to see, uh, people talking about Kevin McClellan and, uh, and, and Rob Ray and, and Brian McGratton and such for, a for at least a week or two anyway. And, um, so yeah, so the response to that's always been a lot of fun. So, um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, oh, despite old, uh, rink rat, despite not putting Neil Sheehy and Bobby Orr in the tournament. Oh God. I get those tweets cost as soon as I put the bracket up. Why I can't believe so and so is not in. It's like, okay, buddy, like, it's like, can you just not just have a good time with it and just have fun and vote? Like, I realize, I never said it was the 64 greatest guys. It was just some names I threw out that I thought people would want to see or vote on and talk about. I mean, give me a break here. You know, you don't like my bracket, go make your own then. You know, but I mean, just people just have to, I guess some people just have to bitch about everything, I guess. I don't know. But like I said, that's social media for you, right? So, I mean, it's a cesspool. <laughs> I mean, as fun as... <coughs> pardon me, as fun as Twitter can be sometimes, other, most of the time it's just a, a giant annoyance. 
But the tournaments are fun. But before we go, one more thing. Now that I'm on the network here, we have certain responsibilities. Now don't hit fast forward. Hold on. Bear with me. Hold on. You know, most podcasts, I'm sure if people out there listening are regular podcast listeners and you listen to other shows on different networks or whatever, everyone has sponsors, so you get the ad read put in the middle. I know they always bust biz about his ad reads and stuff for spitting chiglets. Well, those are the people that are paying for this show. So the network has uh, told the different shows that we have to read different ads or whatever, different sponsors and stuff. And, you know, and I kind of, you know, coming from the outside to this network, I was sort of like, well, I'm hopefully, you know, I'm just not going to, I don't want to get stuck with a product that I don't like or I don't believe in or whatever. And I don't want to sit there. And I, and I understand like, you know, people fast forward or whatever during the ads. Like, oh, I don't want to hear this, but trust me, I know on my Twitter account and, uh, and everything, I know people always talk about hockey jerseys and they're really into jerseys. And, um, you know, and I mean, Myself and the guys that work and stuff. I mean, you know, if we ever needed jerseys, you know, it's the Chinese knockoff site for forty bucks, and away we go, right? But other people are are the diehards, and they want the authentic jersey and and the whole nine yards. Well, actually, um, which is a really cool, um, no, well, there you go, no pun intended. But uh, uh, yeah, guys. So what they uh, sponsor for the thing was uh, CoolHockey.com. And, uh, and it's, uh, they've been, they're from Toronto. They've been around since the 90s. Um, they're NHLPA endorsed. And, uh, I went and checked the site out, went and did all the, the, the promo code and everything. And yeah, and, uh, I mean, I've been, we've all been to the, I'm not a, like I said, I'm not a huge Jersey guy or whatever, but I mean, I was at Jersey City in the mall and stuff. And you see the Crosby jersey with the knitted numbers and the whole nine yards and the authentic jersey. Like 299 bucks they wanted for those things. I'm like, are you crazy? But some people are into that stuff, right? And like I said, they want the new third jersey or the stadium club jersey or whatever the hell jerseys they're coming out with these days. But there's always something, right? And uh, so, and people are always going to buy it and get their Nate guy on there and whatever. Well, with this, you can go to it. And I checked it out. Went. I actually... Uh, did, went through the whole process. I took a Flames third jersey, you know, the, with the, uh, fl- the obviously and the flaming C and uh, kind of the old school look. Uh, chose to get hand knitted McGratton uh, number sixteen, and uh, upon checkout, the final total. I even put the screenshot of it on my Twitter. Was one hundred eighty four dollars Canadian with free shipping. That's pretty damn good if you ask me. That sounds like a pretty good price. So. Um, and I've asked around to other people that buy jerseys and they were like, yeah, that's a really good price for that jersey. And like I said, it's authentic fight strap, knitted numbers, not iron on, but like hand sewn or whatever, like the authentic shit. So it, um, you know, there, there we go. And if you at the checkout, use the promo code THPN, the hockey podcast network, THPN. And apparently it varies from 30 to 40% off depending on, I'm sure as the season goes they'll start stuff, but it's a minimum 30% off and free shipping, so I mean, there you go, can't beat it with a stick right, so uh, the great, greatest deal since the county fair so it uh, I wanted to make sure that the you know, everything was legit, and I have asked around from people that have ordered the jerseys they're, they're, uh, they're legit site good, good quality stuff no BS, so 
There you go. Like I said, this is an ad read. It's an ad suggestion. So I hope you stuck with me there. Um, but like I said, I wanted to. I didn't want to promote anything goofy or shady and at Bush League. And uh, I investigated, asked a few people that know more than that are in the know about these cer- these uh, certain things, and I got the thumbs up. So yeah, 180 bucks, guys, for uh, authentic jerseys, uh, hand knitted. I think that's a pretty good deal. So hopefully, you guys will do that. It'll help the network out, help me out. And uh, and and you guys get a great deal on your jersey. So there you go. What more can a person ask for from one man? What more can I do? But uh, how about uh, I know what I can do? How about I shut up and we can get into the Roman Volpat interview? So uh, let's do that. And uh, thank every, thank you guys very again very much for tuning in. Like I always say, I know there's lots of everybody and their dog has a podcast these days and. Uh, I know there's lots to listen to, and there's only so much time in the day. So thank you very much for tuning into mine, and uh, I hope you stick with me. And like I said, check out the past episodes, and you'll stick with me going forward. Uh, I plan on you know bringing good content, good player interviews, in depth stuff. Hopefully, get some good behind the scenes stories that you've never heard before before from these guys. And uh, and like I said, thank you very much for tuning in. But uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Roman Volpat. Thanks, guys. All right, here on the Fourth Line Voice, I have a special guest out in Cranbrook, BC, uh, former Western Hockey Leaguer and uh, 15-year pro, uh, none other than Roman Volpat. Roman, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, I, like, like we said earlier, thank you very much for taking the time out. I know we've been, uh, you know, everyone's been busy, but uh, here we are on a Sunday, and I'm hoping to, uh, to jog your memory and get some stories out of you here. Yeah. Well, um, well, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, uh, your older brother Jan played as well, so um, we'll we'll get into that. Yeah. And uh, so you grew up in the Czech Republic, is that correct? And, um, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. What, when did you get on skates, and when did you start playing? And uh, oh, you know, funny enough, we were talking before you started recording. Uh, I was actually playing soccer, and uh, my dad was an old hockey player. My brother was playing hockey. So I didn't start uh, I didn't start playing hockey until I was uh, eight years old. So uh, yeah, because that's probably had a, something to do with my brother and dad played. So I started playing at eight, and I was bigger than most of the kids, and you know, so I started having problems with uh, with the officiating because back then uh, there was hitting pretty much from a day one, even in Europe. So um, I learned I learned. Uh, uh, skate as quick as I can, and but with my size and uh, and strength, I always had a problem with the refereeing. Did, so did did you like you were saying you so you sort of gravitated to the kind of the physical side of hockey right away? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, and you know it, it just you know it just uh, I I watched the hockey on TVs and I had Rockham Sockums and all that, and I, I just prefer the physical physical style of game and. And when I was about 14, 15, um, you know, I was getting in trouble with the refs and I was spending most of the games in a penalty box. And, and when I hit about 16, my dad says, well, why don't you try, uh, you know, maybe we can contact somebody and go play somewhere else. So that didn't take out until I was 18. And, uh, you know, when the wall came down in 1989 and, uh, we, uh, uh, make the transition from communism to uh, a regular country. That's when you start uh, traveling uh, to the other countries, to the other cities, and 
and uh, that's when we contact an agent and and uh, I wanted to try and go play in North America. Yeah, so you're, so you're playing over in the in the junior system over there, and you actually get drafted yeah. in the '94 draft by the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. Um, yeah. So was it sort of was it their idea for you to go and go play in the Western Hockey League after, or how did that oh. all, like? Well, put it this way: How did you end up in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, of all places, well, from checklist? From yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good story because that was I was 18, and we were playing a, a European Championship in Finland. And, uh, so 1994 came and I was drafted to San Louis. And so their, their idea was, um, uh, for me to go preferably play the Musha or play the Western Hockey League. And I was, you know, I was excited. I said, why the hell not? So we contacted my agent and, and, uh, so they entered my name into the, uh, CHL, uh, European draft and I got picked by Musha. So I didn't even know where Musha is. So, Quite frankly. So, yeah, and the rest is pretty much history. I got drafted by Muscha, and, you know, I look at the roster, I look at the coaches, and look at, you know, players that used to play there, and I was very excited. You know, it was, I was 18 years old. I grew up in communism country. I had tough coaches over the year, but, you know, then I look at the coaches in Muscha, and I had all tour. Yeah. So, you know, I, honestly, if I could do it early, if I could do it in age 16 and go play the Western Hockey League, I would absolutely do it with no hesitation. So uh, when I went to 18, that was the best time of my life. Okay. Uh, well, before we before you step into Moose Jaw, did you go to the St. Louis Blues training camp before this? No, I did not. No. Okay. No. So, okay. So you, you roll into Moose Jaw. <laughs> you got yeah. Al Tour as your coach. See, while everybody listening, if you haven't and you don't know what we're talking about, go and cr- type in Moose Jaw Crushed Can and go look crushed at that can. picture. What was your first impression yeah. of the Crushed Can and Moose Jaw? Well, first of all, I got on a plane. I had zero idea about uh, Canadian culture, without, uh, no idea about the winters, the summers. Plus, I didn't speak any English. Zero English. Because when growing up in a communist country, all we learned in school was Russian, Russian and Czech. So I had zero knowledge of English. So that was their first biggest task for me to, to learn how to, how to communicate with the teammates, how to communicate with the players. So they got me a translator. So she was there. She was a girl out of uh, Regina, very nice lady. Um, but she was there for only the first couple of weeks, so she helped me out. So I met Altura at the airport. You know, you know, broad shoulders, mean little prick. He was, he was just mean looking. Yep. You know, like, just square jaw, just a little thick, you know, Saskatchewan boy. And so he was, he was intimidating from a day one. And, uh, and like I said, it was e- a little easier for me not to understand him because, you know, if he was yelling at me, screaming at me, I had no idea what he's saying. So <laughs> I could just, yeah, whatever. I could just say, yeah, whatever. Uh, but, uh, that was the biggest. That was the biggest uh, uh, hurdle. Uh, learn to speak English, uh, how to communicate with the players, and how to communicate with the coaches. So just to learn the, uh, just uh, learn the game, uh, the right way, and the culture of Canadian people. Um, but it was like I said, uh, the moment I arrived in Regina and went to Moose at the crash can, they showed me the arena, showed me the dressing room, you know, and I knew. That moment, I made a good decision. 
Well, you play, you play, um, well, how, first of all, uh, you know, I mean, you, you look down the, uh, you know, the roster at that time. I mean, you have Ryan, you know, Ryan Smith, Curtis Brown, uh, Daryl LaPlante, you know, uh, Chris Armstrong, Grady Manson. But one of the characters, of course, obviously was, uh, Rob Trumbly was there as well. Um, how were the, how were the boys? Were they, uh, were you ex- kind of accepted right away or did, uh, how did how did that transition go in the locker room? No, I think I I was accepted very well. You know, I thought they were excited as much as I was. Uh, you know, having a having a European teammate, I came in and you know like I was idolized Jeremy Jagger with the, you know how he played and all that. So I showed up there with the mullet. Yep. So they all make fun of me and and the European clothing and you know how how it was back then. So they make fun of me then, but. But again, because I didn't understand, so I was kind of just laughing with them. And actually, who uh, um, took me under their wing was Belt uh, Mastad and uh, and Grady Manson. Those two, uh, those two actually actually Milt, He uh, lived about a couple streets uh, uh, over, and he picked me up every morning. I think Milt Mastad, I take him. You know, he was fantastic, and my career took off in a good direction, uh, uh, mostly because of Milt. Well, absolutely. So you played 72 games. You had 23 goals. You also had 140 penalty minutes. And I, I remember wa- I'm in Saskatoon, so I remember I remember watching you play. And I mean, and you certainly didn't uh, like shy away physically. And I mean, I know you you dropped the gloves and fought a few times. How was that transition to to the North American game, and especially the Western Hockey League game at that time? Did you did you uh, did you actually like take any? Did you get ready in terms of like the, for the fighting at all, or? How did that all happen? Well, well, I love hitting, so yeah. I, you know, Altour, Altour knew I'm a physical type of guy, so uh, I love hitting. So I kept hitting, and one day, uh, once I learned a little bit of English, Altour pulled me over outside after practice. He says, "Okay, kid, with the, if you play it this way, once in a while, you're gonna have to answer the bell." So he says, "Okay, I'm gonna show you some." So you know, he took me to the side and showed me some tricks and how to grab, how to hold, how to throw. And all that, and he says, "Okay, now we're gonna go kind of a little for real, you know." And I was back then; I was stronger than most eighteen-year-olds because I enjoy lifting weights, and I still do. So we both came to the dressing room, me and Al, after the little toggle, and I made his—I uh, made him bleed. I made his uh, uh, bloody lip, and the guys thought, "Holy Christ, those two got onto it!" So yeah, no, that's. Altour helped me, and Rob Trombley, same thing. He, Robbie was good. He was, uh, he was the type of guy. He was not the biggest guy, but he for sure throw some hammers. He had a, he had a heavy, heavy punch, and he showed me how how to hold or how to, you know, extend my arms to, um, to a different guy. And he, you know, they both Altour and and Robbie probably showed me some good good techniques and all that stuff. And uh, I'm very thankful for that from both of them. Well, and like and like I said to the folks out there here in like ninety four, ninety five. I mean, you talk about some of the characters that you would have had to run up against, and just to throw some names out for people. I mean, in Brandon, you had Dingman and Van Owen, and Prince Albert, you have Shane Toporowski and Mitch Shawara and Shane Knighty, and Saskatoon's got yeah. Belak and McAllister, Medicine Hat's yeah. got Rocky and Blair St. Martin, and Swift Current's got Tyler Willis, and Red Deer's got Pete Vandermeer, and I mean. It just goes on and on. I mean, every team had a couple guys, so there was, uh, like you said, there was no short. If you wanted to fight, there was no shortage of dance partners. That's for sure. 
Well, you know, again, uh, with my style of play, you know, I definitely wasn't to go out there and try to fight the heavyweights, but that's what Rob, Robbie, and Mel did, and, and then we had Reed Lowe. You know, he did some a lot of heavy lifting, and Kevin McKay. You know, there was a lot of guys who yep. weren't aware of how how tough Kevin McKay was, and until we were playing in Portland, and uh, that's actually a good story. So we have. Just before the game, and we were talking with Kevin and all the guys. And they were talking about, it would be funny if we would have a line brawl today. I go, why? What's line brawl? So they try to explain it to me what line brawl is. So anyway, we're playing, and all of a sudden we do have a line brawl in the second period. I go, holy fuck. So I'm looking around, and all of a sudden there's one guy left. I think he were number five. So I grabbed the guy, and, and I Joey told her ankle. Yeah. I go, oh, my God. So, you know, Tetsy wasn't wasn't really, he was tough, but not as tough as he usually in his later career. So I don't, I don't even know how I did, but after after the whole came down in the dressing room and talking to the guys, he go, oh, she did pretty good. I go, sure. If that was, I don't remember nothing. I could hardly breathe. I could hardly catch a breath. I was exhausted. But they told me, I says, yeah, you fought Joey Tarenko, and he's, you know, he's tough. So then we're watching the tapes of the game after, and then, you know, there's a camera on Brad Symes fighting Kevin McKay. And to me, that moment, that might be the best fight I've seen in, like, ever. Yeah. That was like, that was like Bob Probert and Craig Cox. That's how good it was. They went toe-to-toe, stand straight up, and just throw haymakers for about a minute. Yeah. So... There's there's not a lot of people realize how tough Kevin McKay was. Yeah, well, Kev, like you said, yeah, Kevin McKay, and then Brad Symes. I mean, that guy was ridiculous too. How tough that dude was. So yeah, yeah, I oh yeah, I can imagine how good that one was. Yeah, um, I I was well. That speaking of yeah, so you play in Portland. I mean, you know, of course, with the Western Hockey League, the travel. I mean the. The, the miles that's put on that bus is unbelievable. How did you, uh, and I mean, and you're so far from home, you're in a different country. How was the, how was the traveling for you? Did you, uh, take to it right away or was it tough? Well, it was tough at first, but you know, again, you know, if you have good teammates and they treat you with respect and you treat them the same, you know, it was good. Like, you know, I had my own, uh, had my own seat and, uh, because uh, they didn't count me as a rookie because I came from Europe and I was 18 years old. So I was uh, older than most of the rookies. So uh, I was not a really a rookie to them. But, um, no, it was good. I, you know, I love the road trips. You know, that's, that's the time when you bond with the players and, yep. and, and it can, it can show you how deep you can go in a playoff or in a season, uh, based on how, uh, tight the team is. And, and I thought we had a, a excellent team in Musha and, and uh, just a great group of guys, and start with the coaching staff, and all the way down to the last player. Well, absolutely, yeah. Well, and one of the names, of course, I threw out, and of course, I got lots of Oilers fans that listed. And I mean, um, you were also playing with a fellow eighteen-year-old and Ryan Smith. Now, looking back on it, when you were playing with him at the time, did you could you see that he was something special and was going to go on to have the career that he had? Oh, definitely. You could definitely tell he's a special player. He's a talent, and and uh, he was, you know, he's not the greatest skater, but uh, he he made living around the front net. Like he was so good around the net, you know. And he did that in Edmonton. He did that in the National Hockey League for a long time. So uh, definitely, you know, you see him, and you you see uh, 
uh, Curtis Brown, who had a good career in, in Buffalo, and, and Chris Armstrong, and, you know, you see guys like that, and just, you know, you try to follow them because you know they're going to have a good career in National Hockey League. So you try to do what they do. So if they stay longer on the ice, you try to do the same. Uh, and again, that was a learning curve for me, right? So you, I, because I, again, like I told you before, I didn't know the culture. I didn't know nothing really much about Canada. So I was trying to learn every day. And, you know, when those guys stayed on the ice extra after practice, I tried to do the same, you know, try to work on my game or Rob Trombley or Mel Master I wanted to wrestle. We did that. So it, it, it was a fun, it just, it was fun. Like, like I said, if I could do it and go earlier, two years earlier when I was 16, to make sure I could get drafted higher and all that, I would do it with, like, with no hesitation. I, I would do it right away. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic time in Moose I love it. Excellent. Well, so after the season wraps up and you guys get eliminated from the playoffs, you actually go and join uh, St. Louis's farm team in the IHL, the Peoria Rivermen, to play in their playoff run. Um, yeah. How, how was that uh, for your first taste of pro hockey? And at a playoff level, nonetheless, how, how did that, uh, how did you fit in there? Well, I remember that like it happened yesterday. So we're, we're playing the last game. I think it was a, almost the last game in the playoff. And, uh, I got called in the office after, after the game. And there was Ron Crown, who uh, was an assistant GM in, in, uh, San Luis. And he actually had a contract for me. So, uh, I signed my first pro contract, uh, that day. And, and uh, he says, okay, uh, son, after you sign the deal, uh, we have a plane ticket for you. You're going to join uh, uh, our team in uh, IHL, Pure Riverman, and you're going to join them in a playoff run against uh, Kansas City Blades. Fantastic. Again, I was 18 years old. I go, holy fuck, I go from junior league into the IHL, play against the men that are 15, 20 years older than me, 15, 20 pounds or heavier than me, stronger than me. Whew, why not? That, and that's a history. So arrived in Peoria and, you know, got right away. Kevin Sawyer was there actually too. He, yep. he signed with, uh, so he signed, he played for Spokane. He signed with, uh, San Louis and, uh, he was actually my roommate in, uh, in a hotel in, uh, Peoria. So, um, that made the transition to, to that team also easier that I knew somebody from uh league I was playing and uh that for sure helped. Yeah, so you get to Peoria, like you said, they're in the playoff run against Dodie Wood or against Dodie Wood and the Kansas City Blades and uh Paul McLean's the coach and you got uh Steve Stales is there and Kirk Machine Gun Tomlinson's there and I mean you guys are loaded up and uh yeah. And I mean, in Kansas City had a had a had a tough team as well. And I say Doty Wood because his name's going to come up a little later when I talk to you. Um, what yeah. was what was uh, what was just like making that step from junior to pro, and 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 how did you do in the in the six games? Did you uh, did you play a bit, and uh, how was it for the confidence? Well, it, it was a definitely step up. Like it was oh, yeah. faster. It was more physical. It was. Again, it was a it was a kid in in a man's game, and uh, it was a definitely an eye opener. And you know, and you realize, oh fuck, I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as big as I think I am, and really, you're not as good as you think you are. So uh, it was an eye opener. And and I played in the fourth line. I played with Tommy Gunn and Davy Roberts, um, and 
or Denny said it, it was a mix-up all the time. Uh, it, it, it usually is. You know, you go through the lineups and you change things up. Uh, I think I played five games and uh, you know one assist or something like that. I don't recall it. But um, yeah, talking about toughness. Oh my God! Uh, when you see uh, Dean Ewan driving, you know, skating in a warm-up, it looks like he's wearing no freaking shoulder pads. He's got the little Jofa helmet on. And he honestly, he looked like the convict to me. Like I go, oh my god, I'll go no near that fella. <laughs> and and you, then you have Dodie Wood, yeah. But we have Tommy Gunn. Tommy Gunn could handle anybody in the league, so uh, we were okay. Yeah. Well, so the so the playoffs wrap up, and uh, so when you head home that year, did uh, like was there any feedback from St. Louis in terms for, um, like going into camp the next year? Like, were you pretty? Uh, were you ready to roll? Like, were you, your confidence was pretty high? Well, no, because then I know, you know, there's going to be a new draft year and there's going to be new kids that you got to deal with. But I knew what – I went after my dream. My dream was to play in the National Hockey League and I was going to do whatever it takes to, to, to accomplish my dream. So uh, when I went home, I uh, trained a couple of the NHLers, uh, Marty Ruchinski and, uh, and my brother. And so, uh, you know – I thought going into camp, I thought, you know, I'm going to be in good shape. Now I need to learn properly, say how to fight and all that stuff. So I did some little boxing and a little bit of that. And just, you know, personally, just go to the camp, be confident, be positive, and do your best that you can because that's all you can ask. Do the best that you can, and you'll see what will happen. Absolutely. Well, and it probably had to be a big um... – you know, a, a big bonus to have your brother there with you. I mean, your his older brother. He he's gone into the pro system and he kind of knows the ropes. And was that nice to have? Obviously, to have that sounding board there for any questions. And I mean, he could kind of give you the heads up on what's going to happen and and stuff like that. Yeah, he was three years old, so he was more mature. I was still a kid. I was nineteen years old. You know, you know, every Friday, Saturday night, I like to go all oh, have some few pops with my buddies. But you know, again, you want. If you want to accomplish your dream, you know, you, sometimes the party's got to wait a little bit. But it's it's 90s, you know. My my buddies buddies went out, and so I did like a little bit of party. But um, again, I had my brother who's smarter. He says, "Hey, if you want to play, then you better stop doing this and start doing that." And so he put me on the right track. So um, it was definitely easier to have my brother there, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, so then, like ninety five, ninety six, you roll into the St. Louis Blues training camp. Mike Keenan, <laughs> the infamous Mike Keenan's the coach, along with Roger Nielsen. Um, and I mean, you got Brett Hall there, Al McGinnis, Shane Corson, Pronger, Tony Twist. Um, how was it? <coughs> oh, pardon me. How was your first uh, Blues training camp? <laughs> well, it started me, me walking into a dressing room, and then. You walk in the San Luis dressing room. There's a big glass, uh, uh, big glass that separates the uh, the gym from from uh, from the dressing room. And there's this guy um, doing a bicep curls with 45 plates on each side and uh, doing a reps of 12. I go, well, I didn't know we shared dressing room with the NFL. He go, no, 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 that's Tony. I go, Tony who? That's Tony Twist. That's our uh, that's our tough guy. That's our goon. I go, I thought it was a professional. Seriously, I thought it was an NFL linebacker. That's how big he was. I go, and 
well, was I glad in that moment? I was glad I'm on his team <laughs> because I've never seen a bigger hockey player in my life. Like not one. And I've seen some lot of do big fellas in my career, but I've never seen a bigger hockey player than Tony Twist was. So that was my first impression being in a pro dressing room, NHL dressing room before the training camp. I was just hoping he's going to be on my team, my inner squad team too. So, and then, uh, you know, it made it easier for me that uh, Peter Stastny was playing there. Because yeah. Peter Stastny took me aside, says, kid, if you want to make this, you listen to me. I says, okay. So then we got all the schedules and, you know, your, your colors of your jerseys for the training camp. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm with Peter Stastny's line. I was fantastic. So obviously him and Mike Keenan get along. Yeah, I know he told me, keep driving the net, give me the puck, keep your stick on the ice, and drive to the net. And that's all I did pretty much the whole camp. And after the training camp, uh, Mike called me in his office. He says, yeah, you did pretty good. You show what you got, and so we're going to give you a chance in the exhibition games. I go, fantastic. So, you know, leave the office, and there's Peter Staffney standing, and he says, okay, so what's up? I says, well, I guess they're going to give me some exhibition games. He says, Okay, remember what I told you. Keep your stick on the ice and drive to the net. I will feed you the puck. You do whatever you want with the puck, but I will give you the puck. And, you know, I played two or three exhibition games against Boston. It was me, Peter Stastny, and Kevin Sawyer in one line. And he told Kevin Sawyer the same thing. I think, but Kevin wasn't listening very well. So Kevin got, I think, two or three fights in the first game. I got a goal. And then I was like, oh, this is doing fantastic. So after three exhibition games, yeah, I was pretty. Uh, I was I was impressed with myself, and I was impressed with Peter Stastny what he told me and what he could do on the ice in his age. Because I think I was 19 and he was 41 or 42 already back then. And uh, so the reason I made the national opening uh, roster is I gotta say it was Peter Stastny. Well, there you go, and uh, yeah, so. I mean, there you are, you know, opening night wearing the NHL jersey, 19 years old. What? Uh, I, I mean, I can't even imagine. But what, what was it like to to play that first regular season game? Well, it was in Washington, so I'll never forget it. Well, and uh, and I was supposed to be uh, on the same line with uh, Shane Corson. Shane Corson and uh, Corson comes to me before a pregame meal, and he goes, "How you doing, kid?" I go, "Well, nervous." He goes, it'll get better by the game time, so don't worry. So take a nap, eat, don't overeat, and you'll be okay. Anyway, so game time comes, and Gors comes to me and says, so how are you doing, kid? I said, still nervous, even more than I was fucking before lunch. He goes, well, I'll give you a reason to be more nervous. I forgot my contacts. I go, what does that mean? He says, well, I can't see fucking very well right now. <laughs> and yeah, I'm... I'm your fucking center. You're my left wing. I'm your center. You know, Sadaf for sure didn't make me freaking comfortable, but, you know, uh, <laughs> he made it so easy for me, the transition, and, you know, just calm me down. And same with Tony Twist. And those guys were just, you know, they were real pros, and they know, uh, you know, they saw a 19-year-old kid who, you know, makes his dream a reality, and they for sure make it a great experience for me. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, 
Well, and everybody uh, out there, I mean, you've always, you, you hear the stories and you hear some of his interviews and the antics. What was it like being around Brett Hall? Well, well, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, he, he, Holly was Holly. Like, he's still the same. Yep. You know, he, he was, he was a God-given gift. Uh, he was one of the best snipers in the game, period. Uh, one of the hardest shots, quickest release I've have seen. And, uh, it's just a pure talent and overall just ho- hockey hall of famer. And uh, as, as, a, as a young guy, he, he wasn't really talking to young guys and really talking to me. So, uh, really, I, you know, sometimes just, I, all I did is just say hi and stuff like that. Just, yeah, he he was a superstar in National Hockey League, and you know I was just a young little pup from freaking Czech Republic, and you know who was I? But um, I just say he's a good guy. But Holly's a Holly, you know. If you see what he did during the uh, uh, San Luis parade and lot, he, he was the same. He was the same when he was a player, and he's still the same now. So you know he didn't really change much. Yeah. Um, well, another you know you talk about shots. I mean, how hard was Al McGinnis' slap shot? In person, what did that look like and sound like? Well, Go in front of the net and set that screen up. (laughs) Well, yeah. And then if you see his stick, you know, and when you saw his stick and you go, how can you shoot with the stick and curve like that? He had this unbelievable upshoot from the heel and the Sherwood wooden stick and that was stiffer than a two-by-four. And but he has such a soft hands. Yes, he could shoot a cannon. So he he was he was an unbelievable he was an unbelievable hockey player, and very very nice man. And you know, and he, he still works for the San Luis. He got his cup, you know. And I'm happy for him. But he was a scary defenseman. That uh, he was a different version of uh, Chris Pronger. Uh, he had a hard shot like Chris, but Al McInnes was just, he could do it all too. He could make the nice pass. He could, you know, shoot. He, he could hit when he wanted to. Uh, this is the Hockey Hall of Famer again, too. So that team was surrounded by Hockey Hall of Famers. If you look at Adam Oates, yep. you know, you have Craig Janey was there, Brett Hall, uh, Al McInnes, wow, Chris Pronger, wow. Just, Grant, Grant Fuhrer, yeah. Grant Fuhrer, Totally forgettable Fuhrer. Yeah, Grand Fuhrer. Yeah, so it was, it was a team full of uh, Hall of Famers. Well, I was going to ask you, in practice at a training camp, was uh, was Pronger as, as dirty in practice as he was when he was playing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, he, you know, he played hard. Yes, he did. And yep. he played hard. He played the game that coaches want him to play. Yep. He didn't, he, he didn't do, you know – the coaches only asked him to play it. So he did what he was asked to do. And a lot of players didn't like it. But when you play against him in a practice, oh, because of course you wanted to kill him. But again, he's your teammate. So you wait. You wait till you trade it or you play for another team. And, and then you you can take a lick at him. You, you take a run at him. And, you know, I was his teammate in St. Louis, not for a very long time. Because I got shipped to LA, but when I was in LA, and me and him had a fight. So, because he played the game the right way back then. Yep. Did I like it? No, not in practices. In the game, 
Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I, I love it. I thrive on it. Like, that's the way I wanted to play the game, too. And also, um, he only played the game to coaches ask him to play. No, absolutely. Well, um, well, and I, I have to ask, I mean, how, I mean, you hear all the horror stories and everything else. How was Mike Keenan to you? I love him. I cannot say one bad thing about him. Oh, there you I, go. Uh, he, he was honest to me. He says, okay, I want you to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to have a good career in National Hockey League. And I try to do that. Not every time it works, but, uh, you know, I try, to, I try to do my best. And uh, I remember there uh, in Detroit, we were playing in Detroit, and uh, he, well, we skated around before uh, a pregame skate, and Mike Ian called me in and he says, "Okay, this is the this is the plan. If you have a good game today, you can find an apartment. If you don't, you're going back to junior tomorrow." That's it. That was the conversation. So I'm skating away, and Tony Twist pulled me and says, "What do you want?" Oh, he just told me if I can have a good game, I can find an apartment. It's good for you. I go, well, there's another side of it. I says, what's the second? I says, well, if I don't, I go back to junior. What a prick. I go, well, at least he's being honest. So that got my, my pregame scale was a shit. Like after the conversation with Mike, I couldn't receive a pass. I was tripping over the blue line. I, I couldn't handle the fucking puck. I was so nervous. Like I had, so my pregame scale was shit. So we went for lunch pregame meal I couldn't even taste the food I was so nervous and then again Tony Twiz was my roommate back then on that trip he says slow down kid eat just take as much as you want don't eat too much go take a nap relax and don't try not to think about it I says well that's hard to do for a 19 year old kid he goes I know but that's the way he is he plays mind games with you just don't think about it I go okay fair enough well play the game again and I think I got a two assists that game. And he says, after the game, he says, do I have to have the conversation like that with you before every game? I go, no. It's okay, so once we get back to St. Louis, we can find our apartments. And that's the story with Mike. So, I again, I, I, I know there's a lot of players who hate his guts, but I cannot say one bad thing about him. Yeah, well, but then... You end up going back to junior. Well, first of all, you got sent back to Wooster, correct? That's for conditioning, yes. Yeah. For two okay. weeks. Yes. Okay, so you played the 25 – well, before we leave St. Louis, you played 25 games, a couple, couple yeah. goals, a uh, couple pims. Do you remember your first NHL goal? I do. It was in San Jose. Um, we were up to one nothing. Uh, I got a pass. I don't recall who passed me the puck. Maybe it was a turnover. I'm not really sure right now. No, I can tell you who it was. Brian, Brian Noons you and do? Peter Zezel. It was on the power play. There you go, Noons. Yeah, there you go, Noons and uh, Peter. Oh, rest in peace, Peter. He was a he was a one hell of a hockey player and great teammate. There you go. So Noons passed me the puck. I closed my eyes. I was in a high slot. Uh, closed my eyes and just telling myself, please hit the net. Please hit the net. So I hit the net. It went 5-0 on our 2 0 and we were 2-0. Two, two we were up. And unfortunately, we lost 7-2 that game. So, uh, But I do remember my first goal. So there you go, Brad Noon and passing the puck. Yep, their first goal now the I power know. play, no, November 4th against there, San Jose. Yep. There you go. You, yep. know, you, did, you did your homework. Yes, I did, did do my homework, yep. Well, I was going to ask you, yes, that, do you, you remember did. who your first NHL fight was against? 
That I do not remember. Stefan Matteau. Stefan Matteau, okay. Yeah, there you go. That was in St. Louis, and that would have to be St. Louis. And he was, he, he was in New York, wasn't he? Correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, yeah, no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do good. I didn't do good that one. Did, uh, <laughs> um, I was gonna, speaking of coaches, uh, well, another, the assistant coach at the time was, uh, you know, legendary, was Roger Nielsen. Yeah. How'd you get along with the, with the late Roger Nielsen? Well, Rod really didn't, really didn't say much. Um, Roger did, uh, he was responsible for the video, uh, for a power play, I believe. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, no, I didn't really, uh, he just, you know, he always showed me the video about, about, uh, our strategy, our, our systems and all that. Uh, so correction. He was, he was a very nice man. Uh, very quiet, very calm. Uh, so he was, you know, quite the opposite from Mike. Uh, so usually that's what you need. Bad cop, good cop. So yeah. he was a good cop. And, you know, I just remember him in a very short stint with San Louis. And then I have him again in, when I was in the Philly. So, uh, good memories of Roger. Yes. Well, and like you said, so you get sent down to, um, to, to Wooster with the Ice Cats. And, um, yeah. Uh, well, and I was just looking at the roster, and I, I kind of chuckled to myself because I'm like, "What a friggin' defense crew this is!" I mean, you got uh, Terry Virtue, Jason Strudwig, and Jamie Rivers were down there, and I've had I've yeah. had Rivers on this uh, podcast, and he old Rivers is quite the character. Um, what were your oh, impressions yeah. of Booster and Rivers and the boys? Oh, great! Just like you mentioned, those two, Virch and Jamie. Oh my God. I remember this game. We were, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly who we were playing. And after the game, uh, Rips go, uh, "Hey, Bob, let's go just uh, to a fire hall across the street, have a cup of cold one." I said, "Oh, sure." We had a day off the next day, I believe, or a late practice. Jimmy Roberts gave us a late practice or something like that. I got a cold, so I have some couple pops. Well, a couple pops turned into a freaking dozen, and then then we started doing shots and. You know, refs go, whoops, you're European. You guys are from Flamin Zambuca. I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what Flamin Zambuca is, <laughs> but I'll try it. I was half knuckled anyway. So so he pours it and then lit it on fire. I go, okay, so what should I do? He goes, just, just chug it. Just, you know, drink it like a shot. So I had a little facial on me like that. I didn't shave for, I would say, for a week. So I had a little uh, facial hair on my face. So I'm just, you know, chugging this freaking flaming Zambuca. And like I said, I'm half knuckled. All of a sudden, my face starts on fire. <laughs> and, I, oh, and, and there's Terry Virtues flying across the, from the bar. I just start slapping my face, putting her face down. Anyway, long story short, you know, I get home. I woke up in the morning. I feel like shit. You know, feel like I licked the pool table for a week. So I look in the mirror, and there's this blue, gigantic blister on my face. I go, oh my, how am I going to explain that to my coach now? That I got a freaking burn, third-degree burn on my fucking lip. So we get to the ice on the practice, and Jimmy Roberts is looking at me. He goes, what the hell happened to you? I go, do you want to? The first story or the second story? Well, tell me the truth. So I go up to his office and Jimmy goes, really, what happened? Well, so I go, well, I got an elbow last game. You know, it's a jersey burn. He goes, and Jimmy goes, I've been coaching 
for 40 years. <laughs> and I've never heard a story like that. Seriously, what happened? Coach, I'm sticking to it. It was a Jersey bear. He said, okay. And I think Rebs eventually told him. He says, yeah, we were having a little fun. We were drinking a few beers in Zambuca and Bob's forgot to blow it off and just chugged the thing and his face lit up on fire. So, yeah, that's a story with Terry Virtue and <laughs> Jamie Rivers. The first first two days I was uh, I was in Worcester for my conditioning assignment. <laughs> Welcome to Worcester. Well, there you go. You got that right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, well, you played the you played five games there, and um, like like what happened? Like why did you get sent back to junior? Like what happened? Did they? What was their reasoning? But, well, there was a you know there was quite honestly I I have no idea, and you know there's some stories that I heard that I don't want to really spread because I don't know if they're true or not. So one day they just called me in his in Mike's office says. Uh, uh, we made a decision as an organization that we're going to send you down to junior. Uh, and, uh, that was it. That was, I was being honest. I was ready. Me and Craig Johnson, uh, CJ was, uh, ready to help me to move my stuff to the apartment in Chesterfield. And I was actually a devastated. I was actually crushed. But again, you know, it's an opportunity to go back to, to Moose Cha and, and, uh, uh, I wanted to prove St. Louis that they uh, made a bad move, and and uh, sending me down to junior was a mistake. Yeah, well, you you come back to uh, to Moose Jaw, and then they promptly trade you to Prince Albert. Did you see that one coming? And were you happy with that trade? I did see that coming, and uh, because once I got back, and you know, and we look at the roster, and I talked to Al Tour, and you know, we have Smitty's in Edmonton, and. Uh, Curtis Brown's in, uh, in, in, ba- in Buffalo and, and he says, Skate, our team wants to, uh, rebuild. Um, but if we have an opportunity to make a trade, uh, we will make a trade and you will be, uh, one of the pieces to the trade. Is that okay with you? I go, absolutely. You know, if I'm going to have a chance to win the Western Hockey League, hey, I'll go anywhere. So, yeah. So I played five games, uh, Five or seven games for Mushcha again, and uh, and they made a trade with uh, with Prince Albert for uh, so it was me, Ram Smith, Curtis Brown, and Donnie Halverson for I think three, four prospects and uh, uh, some draft picks, and it was quite a big trade back then. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, absolutely, it was a big trade, and I know Prince Albert was really loading up for a run, and I mean, and it came down, it was basically between you guys and Brandon. Who unfortunately beat you guys yeah. in the playoffs, but I mean, I mean, you had a big, you know, fifteen goals in twenty-two games in the regular season with PA, and then seventeen points in eighteen playoff games. I mean, you were really rolling um, per, on a personal level. How much confidence did you have coming back to junior after playing, you know, like thirty games of professional hockey? Well, definitely the confidence was high. Like you know, you you think to yourself, you know, I, I can't play against men. So for me to go down in the junior, it's not degrading, but it's to only make me better. So you prove the junior players that you better than them, and that's what I try to do every 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 game, you know, each game. So um, the motivation was huge. I really wanted to win, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But uh, you know, that's part of the game, I guess. 
Yeah, well, like at Prince Albert, like I said, you had Steve Kelly, Brad Church, Shane Willis, and another character that would go on to play, you know, a thousand NHL games and uh, was Chris Phillips. Um, wow. How 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 how, uh, how was playing with those guys? Well, you look at it again. You know, I was 19 years old. I think uh, Chris was 17. He was that was his draft year. Yep. You could tell he 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 was a talented player. He you know the way he moved the puck. You know the, the, his brain on power play. His his decisions with the puck was just you know off the charts. And once he got drafted by Ottawa, you know his career was going to be long. So um, he he was he was a fantastic. Fantastic defenseman. He, him, and Shane, Shane Knighty, they complement each other in every way. You know, Chris was uh, uh, Chris was the brain, and Shane was the muscle. And really, uh, we had, like you said, we had a good team. We had a great mixture of players. It's just unfortunately, you know, we played against a team that had exactly the same thing, and it's not better. You know, Brandon. Yeah. And, so, you know, it came down to us and Brandon in the uh, conference final, and unfortunately they won the game seven. Yeah. That's, that's the way it was back then, yeah. It was definitely a, a heartbreaking and crushing because, you know, pretty much you know that's that, that's it in your junior career. And, you know, unfortunately you were not able to, uh, uh, you know, accomplish uh, your goal uh, before the season. Absolutely. Well, in, in, in that time... There's a lot of stuff going on in your life. You're a pro, you go back to junior, and then all of a sudden, the trade happens. And on February 27th, it became a very interesting, you became a very interesting trivia question. Uh, you were traded for Wayne Gretzky. Uh, and you were sent to the LA Kings. What was, what was, what was your feeling when you got the news that you were involved in a trade that included Wayne Gretzky? Well, um, Again, I was. I think I was watching uh, some TV show, and then phone rang. So I ran to the phone. I answered the phone, and on the other end, it's Roman. Yeah, speaking. Yeah, Sam McMaster calling, the LA general manager. Uh, and I hung up. I thought it was Curtis Brown making a freaking joke, so I hung up. I don't want to go back to the show again. And two minutes later, the phone rang again. I'm fucking going to the phone, answering the phone. He says, yep. He says, Roman? He goes, yep, Sam McMaster again. I go, okay, okay. And then I go, I was quiet. And then this is LA general manager. I go, Roman, we just, and he starts talking about making the trade. I go, so I took a deep breath. I got a little nauseous because, you know, I thought, you know, my career was going to be with the San Luis, but it's story totally different and, you know, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. And then Austin says, okay, we acquired you, Patrice Tardif, Craig Johnson, and then second round or first round pick who becomes a Mad Zoltic for Wayne Gretzky. And kid you not, I was speechless. I had no idea what to say. I, I thought I forgot to speak English that time. So, <laughs> so he... And after like five seconds of me not saying anything, he says, Roman, are you still there? I says, yeah, I'm still here. I just couldn't catch a breath. So, and he starts with the welcome to the organization, you know, so on. And yeah, that's the day I become the LA King. Okay, we're back. Okay, so your brother's with the, uh, in the organization with the Phoenix Roadrunners. Um, so going into, yeah. the, so, uh, 
So over the summer, of course, here you are, you're going into LA, a whole new setup, a new deal. Um, were you, were you, uh, were you excited for the change? And, uh, and how are you feeling going into camp with uh, your first camp with the LA Kings? I was excited, but yet I was so nervous because, you know, getting traded for, you know, the greatest player to ever played a game. Uh, I was asking myself a question. Like, could I deliver? Could I, you know, could I be able to, uh, you know, fulfill the, you know, need for the LA, whatever they were looking for in acquiring me from, from St. Louis. And I, you know, if you look through my career, I was not never really any goal scorer. I was a third line guy on the best day, you know, more, more like, you know, fourth line NHL player, um, in and out of lineup. But, you know, then you come to LA and you, you know, carry that baggage that, you know, you just got traded for Gretzky and trust me, we, you know, you heard it all the time. So you're the one, you guys are, you know, things like that. So, and I realized, no, I, I, I can't, I can deliver. I can deliver whatever LA was looking for. And I, I got to say, the, the trade for me might be the worst thing that ever happened to me Yeah, in my career. Um because again, you know, the, the organization's looking for something that they're hope that you're gonna bring, and I just, I just didn't have it. So, um, yeah, I was excited that I'm gonna be able to play with my brother if it works out, and yet I was kind of, you know, uh, on the edge that, you know, stressing that I'm not gonna be able to, you know play to way LA wants me to play or deliver uh, you know the, the the points or whatever they want me to bring to the team yeah so, well, and, then, and then also so, being 20 years old too I mean it's not if you had been 25 26 27 it might have been a little different you know mentality yeah you, you're asking a, you're asking a 20 year old kid who play only 25 freaking games so far in his career uh, to you know, play for a team that you just trade Wayne Gretzky for. Like it's, you know, Wayne Gretzky had more, you know, shots or had more points. I, he's got more points than I probably have shots in my career. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And all of a sudden you got traded for him. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it was, it was, it was hard. It was, and, and LA did not have the greatest team. We were in transition into, uh, you know, what later become the, you know, two times Stanley Cup champ, but um, it, it, it was hard. It was hard, especially for a twenty-year-old kid who, you know, like I told you before, I grew up in communism. Now living on my own in LA, wow! Like, what do you think is going to happen, right? So, yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah. that, that was uh, that was uh, beginning of uh, the end, pretty much for me. Yeah. Well, your coach in LA was Larry Robinson. How was uh, how yeah. was it playing for Larry? Well, you could not ask for a better man than Larry. You know, he's got you know one of the best defensemen play the game, and Big Bird was just such a nice man. You know, he was friends with everybody, and and uh, he, he was like you know he was like again he was like your best friend. He was not really uh, uh, he was a coach for sure. He uh, uh, most importantly he 
tell you how to play, show you, explain it to you, you know, and he talked a lot with players, you know, if you have trouble, whatever. But as a coach, he was, he was tremendous. He, uh, uh, you know, he had Rick Green as an assistant, not a, not a great defenseman. And uh, they, they were, the coaching staff, for sure. I, I was blessed over the years with my coaches. I had, I had fun. I had good coaches. Uh, and also, I can't, for my downfall, I could never, you know, blame the coach or, or teammates or, you know, like players doing now. You know, I, I only blame myself or whatever happened, happened. And, but I, for sure, will never uh, blame a coach for my self-destruction. Well, yeah, like a few on the on the Kings there, you had a few characters. Of course, you had you know, uh, Ray, you know Ray Ferraro, Rob Blake, uh, Ian Laperriere, and Dimitri Kristich, yeah. and no, no panic, Yannick Perot, and uh, yeah, uh, and the Volpat brothers tearing tearing up La La Land. Um, what was just the attitude like played it like compared to St. Louis, just playing in L.A. and you know, home of the beautiful people, so to speak. You know, it was it was different. It was uh, you know just you know the weather, and you know yeah. they they knew right away as soon as practice was over they went to golf. You know, some a lot of players went to golf, and I went to the beach. So you can play beach volleyball, or there's so many things you can do in LA that you know just and the, again it's it's great, but also it could be if you don't use it properly, it could be a distraction, yeah. and. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> yeah, like I said before, that was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, we we won't get into yeah. this, the sort of details. We'll let the listeners uh, come up with their own conclusions. But uh, you play <laughs> you play the twenty nine games in L A. Yet you know nine points, and uh, and then you get sent to the uh, IHL with the Phoenix Roadrunners. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, obviously, no one likes to get sent down, and you know, but but again, you're in Phoenix, so I mean, you know, weather's still good and everything. But uh, what was your feelings, and and how was Phoenix for you? You know, I had, you know, I, like you say, I had 29 games, nine points. I played with Kevin Stevens, few games with, uh, you know, Ray Ferraro, and you know, then I played against with uh, Matt Johnson or or Steve McKenna or. Dimitri Kristic or Yannick Pearl, yeah, Ian Lapriere. So yeah, you go up and down the lineup. So uh, I thought nine points for twenty-year-old wasn't bad. Yeah. But again, when we go back to the uh, what I said well ten minutes ago, I never really know what they want me to do. Yeah. And what they expect me to do. If they expect me to get forty points, fifty points a year, well then you're daydreaming. That you will never gonna get it. And that's probably, uh, you know, what inspired into them to send me to the minors, work on my game. But I don't want to lower the fellas in IHL because that's not what I do. But, you know, when I got sent down, like I told you in a prior conversation, we were out of playoff in December, in first week of December. We had Coach Rob Laird. Um, we uh, sure... Uh, weren't the greatest team, but we sure were the toughest. Yeah. We had very, very, very tough team. And so if you got sent down to work on your game, you sure weren't scoring any freaking goals and make yourself a playmaker. So, um, 
Yeah, no, I was disappointed. But again, that's part of the career. That's part of the, uh, being a hockey player, being a pro hockey player. You got to perform every every each day. And you know, if they thought you know I'm doing something wrong, then I got sent down. But um, yeah, and do I have regrets or do I have? Like I said, I'm not gonna blame anybody. You know, maybe I you know took everything for granted. And when I got sent down, I said, yeah, fuck. You know, I'll be up next year, blah blah, and you know, but that's not how it works, right? So you got to work your way up, and you know, sometimes you got to shut up, bite your bite your tongue, and just you know, do the thing, do the work, and you'll get rewarded for the hard work. So, yeah, well, but, so you go yeah. down to Phoenix and you play uh, fifty games down there. You know, sixteen, eight yeah. goals, sixteen points. 139 minutes of penalties. Um, like you said, yeah. in terms of toughness, I'll just, you know, for the people listening, you got Ken McCray, the late uh, Barry Potomsky, um, Gillingham, uh, and then... Uh, Mike McWilliam. My, and a former guest, Mike McWilliam, who was a bad dude, yeah. I'll tell you, folks. And um, yeah. just... Uh, and, of course, the I like we were saying before we got going, the, just the IHL... In general, at that time, I mean, that was just a you know, you had Jason Simon and Barry Dragar and Andy Bezo and McLaren and Bruce Ramsey. I mean, the IHL was no joke in terms of toughness. Yeah. No, uh, that's yeah. You just mentioned one of them, Barry Dragar in Orlando. Yeah, him and him and Kenny Kenny McRae had some great battles and and talk about Mike McWilliam. I remember. Uh, he got into a fight in, uh, I think, in with, uh, Mario or Serge. I think Mario or Burge. And Mike, literally, after the fight, I think the fight went like for three minutes. He was absolutely exhausted, threw up in the dressing room. He was, I've never seen Mike pale like that. They Mario likes him long or Serge. I don't know who which one with reverse brothers was it. Yeah, but I believe it was it, it was Mario. And like I said, that fight went for like three minutes. I got tired watching it, <laughs> and I can even imagine to be part of that fight. So Mike McWilliam was tough. Yeah, we had some characters on the team that you know I look back I go wow. You know we had Paul DiPietro. Wow, what a beauty he was. Oh my god. Yeah, I know we had some characters, you know, late Barry Potomsky, you know, rest in peace, Barry. So, you know, we had some definitely great teammates, great guys. You know, it's just, you know, going into the games with, you know, you look at the lineups with the fellas like that, you know, you're not going to win a lot of games. So, uh, but that's how Phoenix Roadrunners was built back then. And you have to accept it as a, you know, as as an opponent and as a fan. So. Uh, so when I got sent down and you look at the lineups, you look at the players there in the minus, hey, you, you got to work. You got to work your way in. They'll help you uh, to make the back in the show because they're on the same. Uh, they wanted to do the same. So uh, it was good. It was fun. It was good. And, you know, and it just unfortunately didn't work out for me. But uh, but it was good. Well, I was going to say, and this is, your, this is your last stint in the IHL, but uh... – Compare, I mean, the IHL, man, I mean, that had some cool cities in it, though, with like Orlando and Vegas. I mean, that's a, I, as a girl, I was always a fan of the IHL. I miss it, actually. Uh, comparing it to the, uh, well, I mean, you know, we'll talk about it now, but uh, when you compare it to the IHL to the American Hockey League, what were the, what were the, what were the similarities and what were the differences? Uh, 
Well, you know, you you know, first of all, the cities in IHL are unbelievable, like you mentioned, right? You have Vegas, you have Orlando, and you know, you have Cleveland, you have Chicago. Uh, but it was more for for the older generation players, right? Now you have the American League, where they used to send a younger fellas, and you bust everywhere. Yeah. So those were, and I think that was the biggest difference. With in Phoenix, we uh, we flew everywhere, and and in American League, you bust everywhere. So when I was with uh, Phantoms with the American League with the Flyers, all we bust. We would go from freaking Philly all the way to. Uh, Hershey and back to go to Hamilton and back to Hershey and and you have three and three and they didn't care that you travel thousand kilometers and then you play you gotta you gotta face uh, you know uh, Parker and then you gotta freaking face uh, whoever Belak and all those fellas after sitting thousand kilometers on a bus that was that was the difference between the I and the A I think the uh, the travel and the cities and the quality of players. Uh, were different back then uh, quite a bit from I to AHL. Yeah. Well, just to kind of close out the year, so you actually go back up and you finish the season in L.A. Um, and in the 29 yeah. games, you had like, you had seven fights and you had like Scott Walker, Mark Jansen, Jamie Pusher, like DeVries and Dodie Wood. Um, was it a real conscious effort on your on your part to like, kind of maybe step up and kind of start taking a more of a, I don't want to say a heavyweight role, but a more of a, a more of an enforcer type role, or are you still sort of in that kind of gray area? Like, okay, what am I supposed, what do you want me to do? Yeah, pretty much. And like we said in previous, uh, I love to hit. So, but now hitting international hockey, now you have to dance with the big boys. Yep. And in LA, I didn't really have to worry about, we had, we had Matt Johnson, we had uh, Dougie Z. Uh, we had uh, Steve McKenna. We had uh, um, Sean O'Donnell. He could handle himself very well with a big fellas. Uh, so I didn't really have to worry about it. But um, if I would have the brain uh, then what I have now, I would I would do it with, I would say, more passion, the fights. I would maybe enjoy it more because uh, back then I kind of fight because so I can – you know, because I had to and try to stay in the lineup. But again, I was in that gray area that I was questioning myself. I don't know what to do. Was they, do they want me to score goals? Do they want me to play physical? Do they want me to do this? Do they want me to do that? So I wasn't really sure where my place is, uh, as a, as, as my game. Um, but again, maybe I had to, uh, you know, sit down with uh, with Coach Larry and ask him, okay, what's what's your plan? What what do you want me to do? But as a twenty year old to come in coach's office and kind of ask him the question, I I don't think it was the right time and right place to do. Um, so maybe that's why I didn't did it. So pretty much the gray area stick with me for until I got to Philly. Yeah, pretty much. Well, one of yeah. the. Well, one of the before we close out that year, one of the incidents I was going to say is uh, you had a run in with Dodie Wood when he kind of sucker yeah. when he sucker punched you. Um, yeah, did you have? And I was going to go back to when you were playing Kansas City in the playoffs. Did you, had you had any run ins with him before, or was this no, no, okay, no, no. I I remember I I knew who he is and I knew what he is capable of. Uh, so. 
again, I got, yes, I got suckered, but really I didn't. I should know better. I, he was put on a face-off for a reason, and I should know better. So when I kind of, uh, I won the face-off, and I kind of swung my stick, I'm, and I maybe clipped his helmet with my stick, so the high stick. So I should expect, you know, I should know what's going to come. And so, no, that's bad on my part, and I guess you love and learn. So, yeah, I got punched twice, and I got knocked out, and, and it's all good. I hold no grudges. I, again, I don't blame anybody else other than me. So, you know, you go, you, you look at who's your opponent. If that's Ray Ferraro on the other end, I know he's not going to sucker me. But yeah. if that's Dolly Wood, who usually doesn't play center, and all of a sudden he's in the center, well, something's coming. It's, and it's and it's five seconds left in the shift in a period. Then you know I should know better. So again, it's 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 my fault, my bad, and I paid for it. Well, so we go into the the now. So the season wraps up, and you and you know. So the next year, when you go back into LA, had um, like how are you feeling at this point? Were you sort of uh, still up in the air with the Kings in, in terms of uh, you know, you know their expectations or? Um, like you make the team out of the, out of uh, out of camp, um, you knew you played twenty five games uh, before you got sent down to actually they sent you to Fredericton in the American League this time, but uh, yeah. before you got sent, like did you see that coming or like wh- how was your um, what was the overall attitude uh, at that point? I, I didn't. Well, I kind of did and I didn't, but I was you know the season started. I, I made the. Uh, opening night roster and and but I was in and out of lineup which is okay but again I'm gonna blame myself I kind of let my guard down and my work ethic wasn't the greatest um and even my uh nightlife and you know to what stuff I put in my body my food and so I gained you know a few pounds and all that not always a good pound uh so I yeah my I deserve it. I deserve to get sent down to uh, to Fredericton for sure. Well, so now I mean, <laughs> well, Fredericton's a lot different than Phoenix, so that's for sure. So now you're in the American Hockey League, and um, I was just like, what a crew this is in Freddie Beach, and one of the main instigators that I have, to, and everyone's got a, a story about him, and I've talked to him numerous times, um, was Terry Ryan. Of course, he's in Fredericton, yeah. and I know in his book there's a chapter you and he talks about a story with you and him in a drinking contest. But um, yeah, but I mean you have uh, you know Ling and Terry Ryan and Jerry Fleming and Jose Theodore, all the boys are down there. What was your impressions of uh, the Fredericton Canadians and and uh, do you have any Terry Ryan stories? Well, other than Terry's got my old story or with him in his book. Um, yeah, like you said, what a bunch of characters I was like Linger and Jerry Fleming. And then you have Dion Darling and Brad Brown yep. and, uh, you know, so, so I arrived in Fredericton and I go call, I got called, uh, into coach's office. So I walked in and says, uh, hi, Michael. And I put my hand to shake, shake, uh, Michelle turned his hand and he wouldn't respond. He wouldn't shake my hand. I go, okay, well, that's not good. He says, first, it's Michelle. I go, because I call him Michael. So he didn't like me to say Michael because it's East French Canadian. So I didn't call him Michelle. So, but no, that was a, 
you know, he, he was a good coach. He was a good coach, good experience. Um, but then I knew this is the Montreal Canadiens farm team and we're just, you know, there to fill the roster because, you know, uh, Montreal Canadiens had first line, the second line, you know, you, we might occupy the third and fourth. But, you know, again, Terry Rand was there from the beginning. What a beautiful man he is. Uh, I played junior against him when he was in Tri-Cities. You know, he's, uh, oh, he's a character. So, no, we click. We click right away, and, and we play together and uh, in the same line. And, and quite honestly, at the moment um, I start playing there, I play my best hockey in a very long time. Uh, until the moment I broke my ribs, got uh, hit by Solan Bluan out of the Rangers minors. And uh, I think I had 20 points in like 13 games. I played with Terry Ryan and uh, um, I forgot the Russian kid's name. Um, But he was my center. And I was was happy to actually be in Fredericton uh, because, uh, first of all, it was a great group of guys good coach that give me a lot of opportunity, give me a lot of ice time, talk to me as a, uh, as, as a player, what he expects, what he wants, all that. And I played my best hockey in a very long time. So I enjoy and I cherish my time in, uh, in Fredericton. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Sylvain Bluen, that's a, that's a bad dude right there. Um, well, I mean, Speaking of Terry, and I, you know, I mean, like you said, I saw, I, as well, I saw him playing junior, and, um, and, you know, and of course, he has his own podcast, and he has his book, and I mean, yeah. ter- Terry's all over the place, I mean, you know, um, and he's always out there on social media telling stories and everything else, and he's been on all the spit and chiglets and all the podcasts, and, and everybody sees the joker yeah. and the clown, and of course, he likes to... You know, and I mean, unfortunately, the injuries and some, you know, some bad decisions and everything. I mean, he's admitted that, you know, whatever. But besides all that, I think what's lost on people is how good Terry Ryan was. Terry Ryan was really yeah. good. Well, and it, you know, that, that and that's the thing. That's exactly right. You know, he scored fifty goals in junior. Yep. And you you could say he played with Damon Lanko. He can. That doesn't matter. He still put the puck in the net. You got to put it in. Yep. That's it, but you still got to put it in, you know. Like so, he was a good hockey player. He, he was not the greatest skater, not at all by any means, but he was good around the net. He was good with a stick, and God, he was tough. He would not pick a player that there was no player in the league that he would not fight. And for him being maybe two oh five, soaking wet, fighting guys who's two thirty, two forty. And go toe to toe with him, and yet score fifty. You know, I tip my cap to him. So, uh, yes, he's a great guy, and like you said, people assume he's a clown or whatever. But he was a one hell of a hockey player. I yeah. agree. Oh, absolutely. Well, then speaking of tough, one of the guys I have to ask you about because he was in Fredericton forever, and he's a coach now. Was Jerry Fleming? Speaking of big dudes and tough. Yeah, you know, when I told you, about I've never seen a bigger man than uh, when I saw Tony Twist. Well, I've never seen a bigger ass in hockey than <laughs> Jerry Fleming has. <laughs> he was a ginormous man. I remember when I got in, he was about 260. 
Yep. And he could skate. He could skate. And I go, no way this guy can play. I've never seen him play. And we were playing St. John's. In St. John's. And then, you know, they got Rocky. And it's all hyped up about him and Jerry going at it. I go, okay, well, I, I fought Rocky and I got beat up. I go, okay, I want to see this. And I haven't seen Rocky since my junior career. So, you know, we're doing warm-up. I go, look. Fuck skates with the yo. Who plays with Joe Fihelmets now in North America? <laughs> and he's got freaking hair down to his back. I go, and I'm looking, number two, Thompson. I go, oh my good God. So anyway, we're playing the game, and then Jerry goes, okay, it's dance time. So he jumps on the ice over the board, and Rocky jumps over, and they square off, and they start playing this fucking music for Rocky, and and I, I gotta get, I gotta give Rocky a credit, but he was going against a man that I didn't expect him to win, and Jerry took it to him, and that was a one hell of a fight. We played back to back that game, uh, and they fought in both times. Um, Jerry was a very, very large man, and I'm happy for him that he's a coach now. He's doing a fantastic job. And, uh, yeah, he was another large man, but what an ass on him. He had a big backyard, boy. <laughs> he was, uh, he, he was a big man. He was 260. I'll bet you his ass was about 180. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, legendary tough guy in that league and took on everybody. And yeah. anybody listening, if you're curious to how that fight with Rocky to visually go to my YouTube channel, I actually have that fight on my YouTube channel, the Fleming and Rocky fight. And it is a great fight. And, uh, and Rocky, I love, I love me some Rocky Thompson. He's a nice guy. Met him. Good dude. But I always, what is the deal wearing that Yopa bucket? What of us? Well, that was terrible. I had no idea. I had no real role criticized when, you know, Europeans, you went to Joe Fives and all that. And then you had this one of the toughest guys, you know, in, in the American hockey league, wearing Old Jofa helmet. But yeah. I'll tell you why, because that was, that was a good plastic. So if you hit that plastic, you end up with probably broken hands. So he was not the, you know, he was smart. He was smart <laughs> for wearing a freaking old Swedish, old Swedish plastic. So yeah, no, he was, uh, you know what? And again, same thing. Jerry, tough guy. A yep. great coach. Rock, Rocky Thompson, a tough guy. Hell of a coach. Look at who won the Stanley Cup last year with San Louis. Yep. Chief. You know, I'm happy for Chief. I play with Chief. And, you know, all these anti-fight people for saying, nah, get rid of fighting. Goons can't do nothing other than fucking fight. Well, obviously they can't coach. You know, for all those anti-fighting people, go pound hand. Look who, you know, won the Stanley Cup last year and how successful Rocky uh, Thompson is and how successful Jerry Fleming is as their coach. So, you know, uh, yeah, take that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And it's funny you mentioned that because I got in the big Twitter war a few years ago with James Myrtle, that writer for the Globe and Mail. And when the Oilers yeah. hired Rocky as the assistant and all this, oh, he was calling him a dummy. And oh, if you've never seen Rocky yeah. play, you'd never want him to coach, you know, and just being, just being an ignorant clown and i got it well, just because, just yeah just exactly just that's ignorant that's an ignorant thing just because you play one way doesn't mean you preach the same thing like uh, that's a thing and how rocky you know got his first job he should mention that when he was during a coaches conference and he did a presentation and one reichel and uh, uh bob Bugner were owners of the spitfires they go wow 
wow, they give him a job on a spot. Yep. They were so impressed with his presentation that from that moment, they know that's the right guy for my organization. There you go. Yeah, Just because you're a tough guy doesn't mean... Yeah. Well, then what, and then what happens? Windsor wins the Memorial Cup. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, believe point, me, yeah. I, I got a hold of Myrtle after that, and uh, he, I, I brought that to his attention. And he promptly blocked me on Twitter. But uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, truth, truth hurts. And like you said, now he's yeah. one of the I, Rocky. It's almost just. I mean, it's sort of as people have said. I mean, it's he kind of has an NHL job waiting to happen here at some point because he's had success. It's inevitable. He, he's got to. He's got to get a shot. Like it's yeah. You know when you when you when you, when you see guys like, um, well, for example, what's his name in Toronto? I forgot now. Ba- oh, Babcock. Was, uh, no, the coach now. Uh, oh. Um, uh, oh, jeez. Who's uh, the coach? Yeah, exactly. That, that exactly. Tells you, that tells you yeah, how whatever. much I pay attention. So, yes, Rocky deserved a chance. And uh, you know what? I think he will get it. And uh, good for him if he is. Because I think he, he earned it. He earned it in junior. He earned it in American League. I think his time comes in the National Hockey League. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I, well, speaking of Rocky, I, I, yeah, you had kind of briefly mentioned it. I didn't, I forgot to ask you. Uh, I know you actually uh, fought him. In, how'd that fight in junior go with Rocky? Not good. Not good. Let's just put it this way. Not good. It was in Musha. It yeah. was in playoff against Madison Hat. And uh, we were up. And uh, it was just front of their net. And he, he hit me. He slashed me. So I turned around and slashed him too. And I knew he came through both, and I know that. So, yeah, we dropped the gloves, and I went for uh, – I tried to hit him as quick as I can, but he ducked as a boxer. He ducked, yep. switched to the left, and I'll bet you by the 10 seconds mark, he hit me about 15 times, and I took every one of them. I did not go down. I tried to hang on to it for dear life. I did. Uh, my face wasn't looking pretty after, but you know what? I'm proud of myself for hanging there. I did not go down, and eventually we won the series. But, you know, that's my experience to fight Rocky. I sure, uh, uh, yeah, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Cause yeah, that's a- definitely, a- I don't even know if I hit him once, <laughs> but he for sure hit me, yeah, a few times. Well, well yeah, Rocky yeah. had the old chuck and duck uh uh, going to yeah. hand and hair flying and yeah he uh, hair, hair yeah Rocky's a bad dude Sheldon Keith that was the guy we're trying to think of was Sheldon guy. Keith there yeah. you go yeah but um, show you how both we like Toronto well exactly that's yeah. how much we're paying attention yeah exactly <laughs> uh, <laughs> well so we go into uh, 98 99 and this is kind of uh, what a crazy year this is so you start in LA you play the three games <laughs> Yeah. Then you're traded to the uh well actually you get traded to Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. yeah you don't you don't play at all. Yeah. And then, and then like a week later you're traded to Chicago. Got, Chicago. Yeah. Where you play three games. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get traded to Philadelphia. Get, yeah. Like 7 days later. So you um Yeah. Well, before we get going with all that, did when you were in LA and you played, did you kind of ask for a trade or did you just kind of see the writing on the wall or what was going on there? I believe my agent asked for a trade. Yeah. So I, I believe my agent asked 
I gotta say, behind my back uh, for a trade, uh, it had to be because you know I got traded and I uh, uh, I just got a phone call from uh, uh, Dave Taylor that uh, they made the trade with Colorado and. Yeah, so I kind of I was excited again. New chapter. Uh, um, didn't really think anything of it. Uh, went to Colorado, um, like you said. For I was there for three three games. Um, Bob Hartley never really talked to me once. Um, skated the shit out of me every day, every game, every practice. Um, I, I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit. I hated hockey. Uh, the only reason I uh, came to practice even was uh, uh, Brand Trottier, who uh, he was an assistant coach. He uh, um, he talked to me. He says, "You know, keep working hard." I was only again, I was only 21 years old, so keep working hard. You know, you you'll fight through it. You, you'll get an opportunity, um, but the opportunity never come, never came. Um, I got traded to, to Chicago. So I don't know really what to think. Like, you know, like I didn't ask for it. So was I just a, you know, like, like a bus stop? Like, was that just a, before they can put all the pieces together and make another trade. And, um, so I got traded for Cam Russell, I believe. Yeah. Um, so I got traded to Chicago and, you know, Dirk Graham and Savvy, uh, Dirk was the coach and Savvy was the assistant. And Lauren Mullican was the assistant that I knew from uh, uh, working Western Hockey League. So, anyway, so I played three games. Again, one of the toughest teams that I ever be a part of. That might be the toughest team that I have never been never been on. And you know, you look, you go in a dressing room and they got Jamie Allison, Dennis Bonney, Bob Probert, Reed Simpson, uh, you know, Charlie Manson. And I go, oh my God, Chris Chelios and all these, you know. Rami Royer, like they had such a tough team, but you know we played three games and I played all three of them. Um, then we went to Nashville on on a trip, and uh, I got called in the office before a pregame skate. And my brother was in Nashville too, so I was looking forward to I was looking forward to play that night because Dirk uh, uh, Graham told me that I'm in the lineup and I'll be playing. So I was happy to play against my brother and when he was in Nashville and. So before the pregame skate, he called me in his office and says, yeah, you're in tonight and you'll be playing with this. And he says, I know you're going to play against your bro. So if he's in the starting lineup, you'll be in the starting lineup. I kind of appreciate that. That's a good gesture. And, you know, so I turn around, go go get dressed. And about five minutes later, Savvy walks in and says, hey, uh, Volps, uh, Dirk wants to talk to you. I go, oh, okay. So I walk in and, and he uh, said, okay, you might want to sit down, kid. I go, okay, what's up? Oh, you got traded to Philly. And when he said these words, I kid you not, I had tears in my eyes because I had no idea what to expect. I had, I have no idea what was going on. I was emotionally, I was a 21-year-old kid who, I was a wreck, you know, playing in the National Hockey League. But, all these GMs and coaches, they don't really understand what's going through your mind. And I don't know, is this a mind game or what is this? So I get outside. So I was devastated. So they shake my hand and 
all that and wished me best of luck. So I walk outside and first I want to talk to, I was going to talk to my brother. He says, oh, so you're playing tonight? I says, well, no, I just got traded. And even my own brother fucking laughed at me. So, and he was, and he even says, Patrick Coltan was on the ice too. He says, Coco, he got traded again to Philly. So he was kind of making it funny, but I wasn't feeling or laughing. And I was honestly emotional, emotional wreck. And so the only positive on that day was that was about 11, 11.30, just before our uh, pregame skate, that I had to fly out of Nashville to Pittsburgh, meet Philly in Pittsburgh. And I was, I guess I was in the lineup. So, and that was the only positive, uh, positive, uh, thing in, in the whole day or in the last two weeks, I should say, um, the last 10 days from being traded from Colorado to Chicago and now to Philly within two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, definitely a roller coaster that really, I would say, uh, kind of fucked me up mentally from that day, but you know, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, well, and then you, you end up playing 48 games with the Flyers, and you kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, you got uh, a, a few points. I know you had a bunch of fights, and, uh, uh, you know, you fought Nolan Pratt and Jerome McGinley. You fought Reed Simpson twice in the same game, and Dale Hunter and uh, Grant Marshall, Chris King. So, I mean, you certainly weren't picking your spots. Um, you know, but before we get into Philadelphia, I have to ask you before we leave Chicago – um, yeah, I have to. Did you have any interaction with Bob Probert, and how was he? He he, he was my idol. Like yeah, I he was my idol. I have his hockey cards. I you know I always wanted to wear number twenty four because of Bob. So yes, I met him. Uh, I even hit a heavy bag after practice with him. Very very nice man. You know, and then yet he he was so calm. He was just, yet this guy is the toughest man in my eyes that I ever played in the National Hockey League. Yep. And yet here I am, sitting on a bench beside him, playing on his line. It was actually, I was centering him and Dennis Bond. We in one game in Buffalo when Bonzi fought Rob Ray and then probably fought Rob Ray after. So, you know, playing with my idol guy, you know, being on this on a bench and actually have a chance to talk to him, it was, yeah, it was it was something else. It was, yeah, again, rest in peace, Bob. So he was a very nice man, and I, I'm glad I had a chance to to meet him and to be part of a uh, couple games with him. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, so you roll into Philly, historical hockey town, the Flyers, and uh, and that was sort of right in. The Big E, Eric Lindros, yeah. uh, was really rolling in his prime. You had Leclerc and Brindamore, and how? Just what was what was it like to see Eric Lindros? You know, at the kind of the peak of his career at that point, and just can you just what was it like playing with him? Just I'm gonna say one word: you dominant. Yep. He, if I could pick the most player who had who could impact the game in any way he would be it he could do it he could literally do it himself by himself he could score three 
have two, three assists, kick the shit out of you physically. He was that dominant player. He was, and him and Johnny Leclerc and Rennie, the these three, you know, when you if you would see John Leclerc sticks and then he scores fifty goals with this fucking, uh, you can't even call it a hockey stick. It's like a boomerang, and then you know, it, it, it was just he was so dominant, he was so good and so strong, so fast. Everything that you look at an ideal hockey player, he had he had everything. He had the size, he had the speed, he had the strength, he had the skill. He had the toughness. He had absolutely everything that you want from ideal. He he would be the PlayStation Sony PlayStation home made player. You yep. would build yourself to be like that. Would be uh, like Landros. Yeah, well, so was, dominant. Yeah, well, that was funny because like uh, Mar- Matthew Barnaby on his podcast was saying the same thing, and he was saying the most dominant player he's ever. He said like when God created a hockey player, it was Eric Lindros when he put he, him on the ice. Absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely and he agree. goes, you could talk about Gretzky and Lemieux and all that and everything like that, but he goes, this is Barnaby saying it, folks, not me. And he goes, I have never to this to this day has seen anyone that could do what he could do. I agree. I agree with Barney on that one, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Speaking of Barnaby, what was it like playing against him? It's like, you know what? It would be like playing with Ray Ferraro. Ray Ferraro never shut up. Ray chirped. He chirped. Him and Gary Galley chirped everybody. Like, I remember we went back to L.A. We were playing Vancouver, and... Ray Ferraro's chirping everybody. And he's chirping Donald Brashear, who's just standing. There's a face-off right in front of our bench. And Ray Ferraro's chirping Donald Brashear. For whatever reason. Like, what the hell are you thinking, Ray? And I remember Matt Johnson saying, Ray, are you going to fight him? No. Then shut up. I remember that. <laughs> and Ray had to... Well, he had to stop. And Barney would be proud of the same. Barney will never shut up. Like, I remember... We're playing Buffalo, and Roger, you know, we, you know, we got they got this uh, man Barnaby, and you know he likes to think that he's gonna drop gloves and he's gonna suck you in, and you're gonna get the two. They're gonna be on the power play. Says, Roger, I know it's not my first game. I know, but I'll do my best. So anyway, so I put my stick. That thing goes on YouTube too. I, I put my stick between Barney's legs. I go, Barney, let's go. I gotta go. He goes, Nope, I'm not fighting today. Not not today. I go, fuck. So I'm trying to skate away, but he's holding he's holding the stick with his legs. All of a sudden I look, his gloves are off. I go, you son of a bitch. So I try to grab him in front of our bench, and I'm trying to wrestle him down. I'm trying to wrestle him, and then it's right by our bench in Buffalo. And then Hexy's chirping him. Ron Hextall's a backup that day, and Hexy's chirping him while I'm trying to freaking kill the guy. And then Barty's chirping right back while he's trying to fight me. <laughs> I go, but that's how Barney was. Like, Barney could, you know, he, he was he was a gamer. He was, uh, for sure you hate to play against a guy like that. But, again, you want to have a guy like that on, you, on your side, on your team. He chirped. He let his mouth talk, but he walked to walk. He fight oh, very, very tough guys. He would fight anybody. And he was there to entertain he wasn't a bad player at all. He was a good player. 
And you know what? You talk to talk, you walk to walk, and he did it all. So playing against him was a, I hate it because I hated him. But again, it's the guy that you would want to have on your team. So it wasn't so bad. Absolutely. Well, and then uh, a couple of your teammates at the time who, of course, have gone on to coach was uh, Rod Brindamore. And, of course, you mentioned him who won the Stanley Cup last year with the Chief, Craig Berube. Um, how, how, were, how were those two guys with to uh, with you? Well, Rod was good. Rod was more like to himself. He was, uh, I wouldn't say a loner, but, he, you know, he, he, was, he was a specimen. He was... Yeah. Um, he was out of different planets. Like he, uh, a very intense you know, he individual. I've heard intense individual. He was, uh, you know, say practice starts at ten. He would be there at seven. You know, ride a bike or do treadmill or do whatever. Then work out. Then go on the ice and uh, come off the ice and go to gym and do some cardio. And he was a he was extremely strong. And yet, she's all you think he was a bodybuilder. Um, and then you have the chief who hated the gym, hated cardio, hated practices, and yet they're both successful coaches. So, and they have both had successful careers in, in, in a different way. Yeah. Um, but chief was, chief was beautiful. Chief was a beauty. Him and, him and Keith Jones, they were, uh, Keith Jones actually, uh, took me under his wing in Philly. He knew, uh, how, you know, I was my month of uh, being traded and in living out of a suitcase. How tough it could be for a 21 year old. So he kind of took care of me in Philly, and he was fantastic. Him and uh, him and Chief were uh, very good to me in Philly. So excellent. Well, um, you know, I, well, and I have to because we were talking about Lindros and everything else. And I mean, um, you know, for the outside, from the fans, you know. You know, we're not in the room, so we don't know. I mean, you hear all the stories about him and Clark fighting and all this and how he was a prima donna and didn't go to Quebec and blah, blah, blah. You know the history of Lindros, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. How, how was he with you and how did you – I mean, at that point, he's on top of the world. He's a superstar, and he's still a young guy at that time. Um, like, did you guys get along? And uh, how, how was Eric Lindros, not as a player, but as a person in the, in the dressing room? Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic, um, and quite the opposite of what people think he is. Um, he, I, I had nothing in Philly because of my old stuff was in LA, so he lent me his vehicle. He says you borrow it, you return it when you want it. Um, he knew, you know, my stuff is still my clothing is still in in in, in LA. You know, I was sitting in my hotel room one day. And, he he uh he called me and says, uh, Wolves, we're going shopping. I was, okay, well, we're going shopping. We're, well, I don't really want to go shopping. He says, well, I'll pick you up in 15. So he there was no no for an answer. So he picked me up in 15, took me downtown in uh, in Philly, and he uh, helped me pick some suit and a jacket. And, yeah, and that's who he is. He was very caring, um, uh, very caring individual. Um, he helped me a lot. Him, Keith Jones, and... And Chief, you know, the whole team was good. But these three, and Damon Lankall, who become uh, later my best pal, uh, it's, you know, they were fantastic to me. And Big E is quite the opposite of what people think he is. So, um, again, I have nothing bad to say other than praise. He was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, that's that's who he was. He was, you know, he, he, he lived large. Like, you know, he had a big, large home. 
he had a butler. His name was uh, Davey. You know, so one day after practice, he, oh yeah, Davey had a little curly, curly stash, and so he would say, "Davey, we'll be uh, we'll be six of us for lunch." Oh yeah, Dave would cook, make sandwiches and homemade soup, and he would take me, Damon Lankow, Jonesy, and whoever else for lunch to his house. And oh, he was, uh, you know, he was a number one team guy, and you know, he was going after the Stanley Cup, and he wanted to win a cup, you know, and. He wanted to make sure every teammates, every every player is comfortable because in the surroundings, because that's how you win, you know, you know, bond together and unify as a as a team, unified as a team, and that's that's what his job as a captain to to make sure everybody's comfortable and uh, ready to go in the playoffs. So he was fantastic. I can't say one bad thing about him. There we go. See, folks, this is why we do the podcast to hear these stories from these guys. There you go. There's a rare look at a behind the scenes Eric Lindros story. There you go. Um, well, the following season, uh, unfortunately, you, you uh, did you go to camp and did they send you to the Phantoms right away? Like, uh, like what what happened and like how were you just like what the hell's going on? Like you know, here we well, go again. <laughs> I. I, I, that was the first time ever I hired a, a professional, uh, professional trainer in here in Cranbrook. He was a gold glove boxer. He was a local sheriff. So, uh, so, and he was training, uh, uh, three guys for, uh, uh, secret service. So my training in the summer was different than any other hockey players ever. And I felt unfreaking believable. I had such a good camp. I had a great fitness test. Uh, I played three exhibition games. I had three goals, two assists, two, two goals on Marty Berdour, one on Dominic Hasek. Uh, I had, uh, three fights, uh, maybe one, one. I wasn't, I didn't do very well against Jamie Hashcroft. I got actually ass kicked, but it is what it is. But I thought I had a very good camp. But again, I was fighting for a spot against, uh, uh, um, uh, who's uh, Biro? Uh, Mark B- Mark Biro. Yeah, he was a centerman for fourth line, but Mark was making uh, close to eight hundred that time, which was a lot of a lot of money, and I made obviously a lot less. So for them to uh, send Mark to the minors didn't make sense, other than you know send me in minors to make sense because I made a lot less money. So um, yeah, that that was the reason. Because Roger wanted to keep a, uh, even an amount of players. He didn't want to keep any extras. So I got sent down to the minors. And eventually, after a few games, I think I played like 12 games. Barely played. Um, because I obviously I wasn't fit in, uh, in, in the future because the amount of money I was making. Um, so, uh, yeah, they bought me out in... Just before, uh, like the first week in December, I believe, and and uh, yeah, it came quick. It was it was quick, unexpected, but you know that's I guess if you make what you make and you're not better than the guy next year, then uh, buyouts. That's that was an easy way out for them. Yeah, well, so you're 23 years old, and uh, you finish the season. You go to Germany and you play there. Yeah. Um, you played 33 games and stuff there. Um, at that point, did you kind of think you were done in North America? Uh, no. Well, well, 
you know, talk about agents, right? You know, yep. the, talk about agents. So, you know, all your agents, they just, all, all they care is, they don't care about the player. All they care is the fucking, the pay time. So, uh, my agent lied to me. Uh, I got a phone call from, uh, uh, Glenn Sater, who was a GM in Edmonton. Um, they wanted to sign me. Uh, but my agent turned it down for, uh, whatever reason that was. Um, and says, don't worry, I'll get, I'll get you back in the league next year. And, you know, it's not going to happen. You leave, you're not, if you're not a playmaker, if you're not a, a difference maker, you ain't making it back. And I was disappointed. I wish I could take, I wish I could take it back. I would take that Edmonton deal. Even though if they would send me down to Hamilton to play in the minors for the rest of the year, at least I was uh, still in the game, was still in a in an NHL organization, and you know I could prove myself the year after. But again, you know I'm not going to blame anybody pointing fingers. I didn't take the deal. You know I can only blame myself, and and uh, that was pretty much uh, my NHL career in a nutshell. Yeah, well, and then, uh, like you said, you played in Germany, and then, uh, you played six seasons in Helsinki, and, uh, yeah. Now, going, going back over to Europe, um, you know, you're on the bigger ice, and, uh, and I mean, your physical style, I mean, it doesn't really, you know, it's not really, uh, you know, Swiss League stuff. Um, was it a hard transition for you, or, and what did no. you think, what did you think of the big ice? Do you like it, or? Well, well, no, I don't. But you know, when you play in Germany, and you you know, if you know the DL, uh, there's a lot of North American guys. Like yeah. there's there's some lot of Ricky Hayward was there, and uh, I think Jamie Ruff. Or uh, there was a lot of lot of guys who with NHL experience playing Germany. So it wasn't it wasn't that big difference. When I went to Helsinki, um, they preferred or oh, they love physical style players. They always have. So I thrived. My six years in Helsinki were pinnacle of my career. I absolutely love it. Um, I wish I could retire there in my pro career, but it didn't happen again. But my six years, though, I, I love the people. I love the fans. I love the city. I love Finland, the country, uh, close to home. And I enjoy it. And I feel alive again. I enjoy the game. I made so many friends, you know, it's just, it's just different. I think, and it's so different from the European hockey, from the NHL. It's so different. And the difference is, I think the European teams, they care more about the players, about the humans. Yeah. Other than National Hockey League, it's basically business. So it is. Well, you're a a piece of meat product in the NHL. Pretty much, yeah. and you per, you perform today, but you don't perform today. There's another forty guys waiting for your spot. They're, they're, they're waiting for you to fuck up so you, they can have the opportunity. And I don't blame them. It's just that's that's the way it is. That's the mentality of people, and that's the way it is. So, no, I the transition from North American back home to Europe. I no, I didn't have a problem at all. Quite the opposite. And I made a lot of friends, a lot of fans, and I enjoy it. I enjoy every minute of it. And, yeah. But I have no regrets in any yet. 
I, you know, I taste the NHL. Absolutely. You know, if I could do it all, if I could do it all over again, would I do it different? Yeah, I would. But, um, but I and I and I see it now. It's it's business and it's business only. There's no care for fourth line player, none whatsoever. They don't give a shit about you. No, you're replaceable. Third line player, you're replaceable. If you're not in two two lines, everybody else is replaceable. And and that's not like that in Europe. They have say 21 guys signed, and if you don't play well, yeah, you might not play the next game, but you're back in the next game because they don't have anybody else to sign because they've got limited funds, right? So it's more enjoyable. That's why a lot of guys, if they don't get opportunity in National Hockey, they go to Europe, and I don't blame them. You know, you make good money. It's uh, half the amount of games. If you don't, if you go to Switzerland, there's 36 games. Yep. In Helsinki, I think there's 52. In Finland, Sweden's 52. You know, so you got 30 games less than, for a lot less money, but, you know, money's not everything, but you got to enjoy yourself too. So, and I enjoy every minute of it in Europe and everywhere. Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, back home in Czech where I retired. I love it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, and hey, at the end of the day, you had a hell of a run. You saw the world uh, playing, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you you played 133 NHL games. I mean, that's 133 more than the majority of 99.9 percent of uh, uh, people. Yeah, in the world. I guess. So it, um... I guess. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll tell you one story, which is the most frustrating thing it is. So talk about Fredericton. So I was in Fredericton in the minors. So I got called in Michelle Terrian's office. He says, yeah, you got called up. I go, fantastic. Where am I going? He goes, you guys go, you go to San Jose. I go, holy fuck, that's the cross, the whole fucking country. He goes, yeah. So you're flying from Freddie to Montreal, Montreal to Chicago, Chicago to Oakland. And then I took a, a limo from Oakland to San Jose. Okay, excited to play. I sit the whole fucking game on the bench. Not a one shift. I did not get a one shift. Me and uh, Richard Parks, not one shift. Got sent down right after the game. Go back to Fredericton. How was that for a fucking trip? That's, that is absolutely, see, that's, that's what I mean when they, when I say they don't care what about, you know, mental state of any of the players because if you do, then you can fucking do this. And that, this is 30 years ago. Yeah. 25 years ago. So, yeah, that was the story I got from Fredericton. It took me two days to get there. And then you don't even play a game. So the game that you sat on the bench doesn't even count to your pension because you didn't have a shift. You get paid whatever that, you know, day you make. But who cares about the money back? You want to play. Nope. You go back to Fredericton right after the game. It took me another two days. So I was a four-day on a trip. Without even playing the game, so yeah, just a reminder, just the one story I just uh, remembered. Well, and uh, since then you've gone on, and you were a, you were a coach for five years in the Western Hockey League in Prince George and in Kootenay, um, and, that, and that was just 2014 to 2019. So you've seen the real transition to junior of now compared to like 30 years ago. Um, yeah. Uh, what are the um, like in terms of um, progress, 
sort of in hockey? Do you think like mentally and stuff is that a lot more uh, prominent now that you know that, that it's thought of, or is it still? I mean, it'll always be a business because it is, but um, the mental aspect is it a little more looked at now and thought of, or no? Um, be a, the, the biggest problem, um, the challenge for coaches now. Uh, is to deal with players with uh, uh, because everybody everybody ha- gonna hit the low point in the season in any way, you know, whether you're not playing well, whether your girlfriend break up with it, or you know you 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 sick, or you're not you know, whatever it might be, you school. So there's gonna be some ups and downs with the kids. They're still kids, right? Yep. Uh, so as an assistant coach, you gotta watch for any signs of change in any players. So Mark Hollick was my head coach. He says, "Wolves, you and Mike, keep please keep an eye on each player. You know, if you see some signs of you know changing habits, or maybe I don't know a little change of behavior. You know, we had some players that were on say some medication for uh, you know some little mental issues, but nothing significant. But you could tell." You know, we had a player, for example, that was struggling in his in his game, and his girlfriend left him, and and you could see decline in performance, and you know, even a work ethic and like that. So you need to sit down with them, you need to talk to them, you need to kind of. So what you try to become, you're not an assistant coach. You're more like a, a psychiatrist without the degree of being a psychiatrist, so a psychologist, more like. So yeah, it's it's different, you know. The way you talk to the kids, uh, you got to be very careful so you don't hurt their feeling. And I'm not saying in a bad way, but um, the the mentality of now generation is well, yeah, it's definitely a little different. It's uh, um, and it comes from home though, you know. Like it, I grew up in a country where we had nothing. You know, so everything we had, you know, I had to work for. My parents had to work for. My parents had two jobs, just so, you know, stuff like that. And and then you see same with majority of players, but then you have players that come from very very wealthy families. Well, how do you how how do you approach them when they struggle? They could tell you to go pound sand. What are you gonna do? They could buy the fucking hockey team if they want to. And now you're telling him he's not playing? So, yeah, no, it's definitely a challenge for a coach. And that was an eye-opener for me because, you know, you think you know stuff about the game. And no, you don't. And, yeah, so the amount of work that the coaches we put in and uh, and the think you get back, as a, say, as a salary or a payback from the organization, it's, it's minimal. It's, but it's, it's not easy to be a coach in now in junior hockey or, or, uh, any junior hockey in that matter. Not at all. No, absolutely. Like I have friends that have done it and talked to them and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, certainly. Um, in terms of the game, like you look at the Western hockey league of, you know, of today compared to the, uh, rolling into the crush can in 1994. Um, what what are the biggest differences in terms of gameplay? And it, again, it comes with the coaching. Uh, again, I'll bring uh, I'll compare these two, PG and Kootenai. Um I've coached with Mark Hollick, uh, who 
when he was a player, he preferred a physical team. We had, and we had Todd Harkins as a general manager, who was a tough player. We had one of the toughest teams in Western Hockey League by far. So we were warned pretty much weekly by the league. Okay, you guys got to stop fighting. You guys got to stop doing this. You guys got to stop doing that. We try to get rid of fighting, so stop fighting this. Stop doing this. So pretty much what they're telling you is you can't play a physical game anymore. You have to get a skilled player. Well, that's not what the fans want to see in PG. If you talk to fans in PG, yeah. they want to see this. That's the thing. They want the league. I understand what the league is going for, and I understand the, where they want it to be, say, in 2025, but you as an owner of the team, you have obligation to your season tickets, to your, to your sponsors. So you build your team based on what they want, not what the league wants. The league doesn't pay you freaking salary. You have to make your own. And if you have 7,000 fans stands, you have to fill the bar. And this is what they want. Well, this is what you get. So we had problems a lot. So say we play with Victoria where uh, uh, Dave Lowry was a coach. They had a tough team. So both teams get a phone call from uh, the president of Western Hockey. He says, okay, this is what's going to happen. We don't want no fights tomorrow. No premeditated fights. And we as a coach just says, well, we can't control it. We're going to tell them we don't want you to fight. But there's nothing we can do. They're still a kid. They're still man on the hormones. There's nothing you can do. You can't prevent that. Okay, so we talked to Dave Lowry before the game, and we kind of laughed it off or whatever. So there's his opening face-off, and he's got every tough guy on the ice. And I go, huh. And so do we. I go, oh, that's, this is not going to be good at all. So the, the opening face-off, the puck drops. There's three fights right there. I go, oh, my God. So we finished the game. There was like seven fights in the whole game. And yeah, we got the phone call right after for Dave Minch. Uh, right after. And Dirk, Dirk, uh, from uh, Dirksen, right after the game. Yeah, the GM got fined. The coach got fined. We got warnings. and Yeah, but did it change our style of play? No. So we were more of a physical. So And now the other scrutiny ice. Jeff Chenault ran this team extremely well for X amount of years um, but uh, once they sell the team to uh, the, the business people out of Winnipeg I gotta say we have one of the softest fucking team I've, I've ever seen like I have ever seen I mean Junior B we could we could be pushed out of town by the KIJHL team for sure if you only play a little physical they're, so if you look at, say, BCHL team and a Western Hockey team, what separates these two junior teams? Usually it would be a little bit of skills, for sure, but majority with the physicality and the strength of the guys. Well, Kutni is last under the new ownership were the softest, weakest, most boring team to watch. And it was actually, I got to say, it was painful to be a part of that coaching style. I don't blame it on coaches. I'm just saying where the 
hockey went from being one of the top team in league, Kutni Ice under Jeff Chenault, under the new ownership, it was the most pathetic team that I've been part of in the last 25 years. That's how the league changed from 1994 yeah. to 2020. Well, I was always surprised because the OHL and the Quebec League have put in fight limits. Like, I don't know, what is it, five fights, and then you get suspended on your six, and blah, blah, blah. And the Western Hockey League hasn't put any in yet. They haven't put any in yet. So I'm actually surprised. To, well, I shouldn't say that I'm surprised to hear that they're that they were on you guys about it. But what do you think of the fight limits? I I, I think it's ridiculous. There's there's this thing. If get rid of the stage fights, get rid of the fights that happens before face off. Why? Why, boys? Play the game. You know, I hit you the wrong way. You know what? Fuck you. Fuck you. And sort it out. Let fight. Sure, but get rid of the stage fights. And then you get a limit of fighting. Okay, you you get five, and then 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 you get suspended for ten games. Oh, okay. Well. There's things being said on the ice that crosses the lines for sure. So what am I supposed to do? Go tell the referee, hey, yeah, he's doing this to me. He's saying this to me. Really? Really? I'm going to punch your teeth in. That's what I would do. So, again, those are boys. Some of them are men on testosterone, playing the game in a fast-paced, entertaining game, you know, should be contacting it, and then you want them not to fight. I'm not saying have a 30, 40 fights like Bob Probert had or Tony Twist or Kimby, but in the old days, but you know, have 10. Again, could the eyes of the Peyton Krebs here, you know, one of the you know, one of the elite junior hockey players in North America, and you don't have a guy to protect his ass, really. If he would play against, say, uh, uh, Bilak or Dinger or me, or I'm going after him because I know they don't have anybody to protect him. Why do you think Conor McDavid got Lucic have uh, guys like that to protect him? You, that's an investment. You, you protecting your investment. You're not going to give some guy a hundred grand and says go and spend it. No, you're going to want to invest it, but you want to have security. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You cannot tell players not to fight. You can't. Yeah. I don't think you can. And do a limit. I don't think the limit goes in anywhere. Get rid of the fight, the, the, the stage fighting. I don't like the stage fight. Like, like you see on the LNA, whatever fucking Lali <laughs> call in Quebec. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. Get rid of that. Absolutely. But let the boys play. And if fights happen, it happens. Well, I was going to say. Can, you can. You can't predict it. It will happen eventually. Yeah. Well, eventually. I, I see last week that the BC Junior League came out with a rule this year, the coming up, that after in, after your second fight, you're suspended now. And you have a meeting with it's the commissioner fuck. and everything else. It's, and of course, you see all the... absolutely ridiculous. Yes, and you see all the replies. And then, of course, the KI that you had mentioned earlier is now full cage and you can't fight and blah, oh, blah, Oh, my blah. God, is that a fucking joke? So, yeah, well, I, you're yeah. right in it. I'm going to ask you, because this, of course, is always hotly debated on Twitter and everything else. This is else. a hot topic, I bet, yeah. Yeah, well... When people say when they get rid of the fighting and they put the rules in and all this, oh, it's so much safer now. 
This is what they're, and of course the commissioner comes out and we're just trying to safety of the kids, full masks and no fighting. You coached, you played. What is your reply to that? I think it's absolutely bogus. It's, I've, you know, I, I live 15 minutes from Kimberly. So I go watch this KIJHL because I like it because I coached there too. So I, I like a couple of the kids so I know them. So I go watch them. The fucking game takes three hours. You think you're watching a bowl game because there's, after every whistle, there's a scrum because now they know there's no repercussion. There's no fights. So they yank in their cages. They rattle their cages. They're chirping. They're yapping. Are you kidding me? The game takes three hours to play. It's absolutely ridiculous. And safety, there's no safety. It's a high, there's more concussions now. High stick. You coming at me with the full cage, I'm going to raise it up. Why shouldn't I? You're not going to lose your teeth, but you could still end up with concussion. It's a trauma to the head. It could end up in damaging your brain. I coached Dynamiters for two years. We did not have one lost tooth with a high stick. But as soon as they put the full cage in, I know two players who lost their four, four teeth one and the two teeth the other kid. Because everybody, see you coming, I'm going to raise it up. I'm going to raise it up to you because you have a full cage. So I disagree with it. I, I, disagree, I, I don't know. Maybe the insurance told them we're not going to pay for something, wow. but yeah. I, don't, I, I, I don't like it. I yeah, I don't. Just like you know, you put limit on fights. Like, okay, you're gonna buy a sports car, but they're gonna tell you you cannot drive faster than one twenty. Are you gonna break the law or no? Are you gonna go one thirty? Of course you are. Of course you are. You're gonna get a speeding ticket. Is it gonna stop you for speeding again? No. Yeah. No. It's you. Uh, you jeopardize the quality of the game. What's the most? Okay. What's the uh, Oh, what should I say? Most popular sports in the world right now. What is it? MMA. Yep. MMA. Billion dollar industry. Trillion dollar industry, if you could say that. Now, it's ridiculous. And it's based on what? Fighting. Yep. There you go. Well, that's people the thing. I mean, complain. people could say whatever they want, but violence sells. It always will sell. Well, I, I don't mean to go back to the you know line brawls and bench brawls oh. and all that. But again, you have 40 players hiking testosterone, going win the trophy. You going after the trophy, well, things will happen. You get pissed off. Every coach I ever had says, how many fights you got? Zero. Well, obviously, you're not playing hard enough. Because eventually, if you play hard enough, if you play the hardest that you can eventually somebody's going to get pissed off. Somebody's not going to like the way you're playing. So you're going to have to answer the bell. Just yep. like I had to. But that's, that, that's, that's the way. Who won the Stanley Cup last year? The most physical team in the National Hockey League. Where did Tampa Bay end up? Yep. Eliminated four straight. Well, there you go. By a physical team, Columbus. Where do you think Toronto's going to end up this year if they're going to play Columbus? Columbus, yeah. what do you think... Torts was it would tell them lay the boots to them stay out of the box play hard play clean lay the boots to them because their Toronto's got absolutely nobody that could do anything to it. They had one player and they got rid of him and that was Kadri. So you need the physicality with the cup. 
Boston, St. Louis, Washington. Those are the teams. Philly. I love Philly. I love the death. Like I'm still a huge fan, but I don't think they don't have it. They don't have. I don't think they have it. They don't have the physicality. And I think for you to win the cup, you need the physicality. And I think that's what it is. The physicality is the key to success. I'm not saying the violence or the fighting, but that comes. That's within the territory. That comes with it. That's the part. Yeah. Well, that's my opinion. I, yeah. That's full circle. Here we are in 2020, and we're still talking about the same things that that won in 1994. As as much as things change, things stay the same. But uh, no, yeah, you you always have the anti-fighting people. Like, oh, oh my yeah. god! Like, you know, you have these losers on Twitter. Like, they think you know they all of a sudden they start chirping, yeah, blah blah blah. You know, you have the same guys, Kelly Chase, Darren Kimball. They keep telling you if you watch the freaking Ice Guardians. Yep. That's what I tell people. You're against fighting, and watch the last five minutes. What Kelly Chase says, that that tells you the story. And when he cries, he says, "I would do it with a little more passion." What does that tell you? And and all these analytics bullshit crap. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Stevie Eisenman never be the same players without the people behind their back. I, that's my belief. Stevie Eisenman would never have so many points if he would not have Bob Prober, Joe Kosher on his line. Wayne Gretzky, he had Samanhead. He had McSorley. Marty McSorley. Yep. He always had somebody protect his back. You know, like, and now you're saying get rid of fighting? Would you tell Bob Probert 20 years ago, Bob, we got to get rid of you because we're getting rid of fighting? No. You have to ask yourself that as a general manager. I understand where the what society wants, what, but, you know, it, it's just, like I said, San Luis won the cup, the most physical team. Again, coached by Goon. Oh, weird. Yeah, maybe the freaking Goons know how to coach. Yeah, it's not about fighting. It's about the physicality. You have to have the right mixture. Physical players, and that's why Doug Armstrong did a fantastic job. Build a skilled team, fast, physical, and hire the right person for the right job. So did Boston. So did Washington. How many years it took Washington to win the cup? How many coaches under Ovechkin? Coach Ovechkin till finally Barry Trotz teach them how to play D, buy in a system, and do they have a tough guy? Oh, they have Wilson. Everybody hates the guy, but he does a fantastic job. Yep. Score 40 goals if you let him. And he could beat up 95% of the guys in the National Hockey No nope. Reefs, same thing. Yep. Every team wants Reefs. Every team. Why? You want them. You want to get rid of fighting, so why do you want them? You know, that's what I mean. Like, you know, you're saying one thing, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's frustrating. And it was frustrating for me to watch as, a, as an old hockey player. I know I wasn't any, any you know, on an all superstar, but. I, I don't want to watch. I like the speed. I like the skills. Don't get me wrong. But the physicality is there missing. And then if you can bring the physicality into the playoff, you will end up like Tampa. You will end up like them. And every year, every year. 
Absolutely. Well, uh, well, there we go. That wrapped up with uh, with Rob Opat. I mean, uh, so today, uh, you're living in you uh, you're living in Canada, and uh, what's 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 yeah. Volpat doing these days? Well, I'm an uh, operator of uh, Hydrovac and uh, Pressvac, so I'm working for my buddy's company and you know coaching kids part time is, uh, is my uh, is my hobby as a volunteer. I got two boys, 15 and 14, so they'll start pissing me off. So, uh, yeah, no, but they're playing hockey, so they're staying busy. But you know, try to stay busy as much as we can, I guess. And my wife is a EA in the school system, and so she's busy and, you know, it is what it is. And living the days, living the dream. Do you have any desire to get back into coaching at like a junior level? Well, I was approached by Nathan Lewin here who owns the, uh, Cranbrook, uh, Cranbrook Bucks, the new BCHL team as a part-time guy. But with all this COVID, I don't know. I, we haven't, uh, we haven't spoken for a couple months, but, uh, um, would I be interested? That's a good question. If it doesn't interfere with anything with my boys, then yeah, I would. Cause I still like the game and I still think, you know, I got, uh, I got both worlds of the game, the North American and the European. So I think I have, uh, 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 one or two things to give to the players, give them back something and, uh, maybe, uh, uh, warn them about, uh, or, Make sure they don't make the same mistakes I did over the years, but uh, yeah, only time will tell and see when this COVID crap uh, goes uh, goes somewhere else. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, hopefully we can, uh, you know, this uh, we can get moving forward here, and uh, you know, absolutely. But uh, well, I've I've taken up so much of your time. Um, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been great, and yet you, you had great stories, and I know the people listening will really enjoy it. And uh, like I said, I've always enjoyed our interactions on Twitter, so it was great to finally get you on the show. Well, hey, I appreciate it for having me. It's it's an honor. It's you know I really I I had fun. You know even yeah you didn't take any of my time. It's it's not like I'm I would have to actually help my wife to do. Uh, uh, redo the kitchen, which I wasn't going to. I don't want to do uh, stuff around the house. I'm not, <laughs> she does the majority of it. She even turned my garage into a fucking wood shop. So I got. I'm parking my trucks outside, and, <laughs> and I'm just watching it. I'm just actually watching her drill this uh, uh, bit into the wall. It ain't working so good for her. <laughs> she might get electrocuted. She might get electrocuted. She's actually laughing, but I hope she does get electrocuted. Make sure the insurance is paid up. The life insurance is paid up first. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no life. Oh, she did get dropped. Ah. Yeah, she did actually get dropped. Uh oh. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, she did get. She did get dropped. Well, I will. Yeah, she's gonna be both. Yeah. <laughs> that's that. Yeah, that's. Well, I'm gonna. You know what? She's gonna give it to me after we get off the phone. Oh, you're, you, you think Rocky was tough. You're in trouble now. Yeah. Oh, I am in, I am in trouble. She got seriously zapped. Oh, yeah. Well, she's well like a, you better go she's check. like a light bulb now. Ah, there you go. I'll, I'll, I won't keep you any longer. I'll let you go. But uh, th- thank you very much for coming on. No problem, Darren. Appreciate it. And anytime. All right, Have a man. good one. Have a good night. Okay, you take care. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Boston, you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 